Happy Halloween and welcome to Because Movies. We're here to celebrate some horror anthologies uh, for spooky season. Or last year in October, we did a, a pretty extensive five-episode series focusing on the uh, the slashers and the remakes from the early 2000s. And this time around, we're just doing the one shot, but we're focusing on a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to look at five horror anthologies, not necessarily... Uh, a top five of all time, but we've got one from each decade starting in the 70s up through the 20 teens. And I got AJ here with me. I'm Chris. Say hello, AJ. Hello, all. How are you? <laughs> I'm sorry. We- I'm just feeling kind of spooky. <laughs> I want the pod not to suck. And I'm feeling kind of under the weather, so excuse the, the nasaliness in my voice. But um, we're going to power through. So we, we each came up with a list of uh, horror anthologies we wanted to talk about. And we had to kind of pare it down to five, but um, before we yeah, look- like he said, you know, this is not. We're not saying these are the five greatest horror anthology movies of all time. We basically just came up with a lot that we loved. We ended up seeing what mixed and matched together, and it turned out that we had one from every decade, and we just did it that way, and it worked out really good. I think this is just a good list of quality anthology movies. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? I agree, and we've got a nice mix yeah, sure. of like we've got some some big budget stuff with big names. We've got some indie type stuff. Yeah, uh, a little a nice mix. Yeah, which I think is important. And I mean, anthologies are by nature a mix. Mm. And we were talking before we started recording. You know, everyone listening. You know, we all understand as fans these fuckers are spotty. Sometimes they're hit and miss. Sometimes your favorite anthology, you know, movie has a segment that you dis eyes with your very heart and soul and it's just it's kind of adds to the charm it's kind of part of it it's like yeah it sucks but don't you think like people are, are especially if you love them if you love anthology movies don't you think we're more forgiving of those than almost any other kind of horror genre movie or subgenre yeah i think so and especially since the average horror anthology segment is what 15 minutes yeah uh, sometimes they're longer or sometimes they're even shorter but like yeah some can be like eight, ten minutes, you know, or like the most, the more recent one, which is not on this main list, but is worthy, and we'll we can chat about it a little bit. Uh, Tales of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Those are are very varied in running times. They jump all around. Some of them like what five, eight minutes long. It's just like this real quick, boom, boom, boom. There's one with uh, Alex Esso that would be like four or five pages in a comic book. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let, yeah, let's start with uh, Tales of Halloween is one that was uh, was on your list initially. It didn't make the cut for the final five, but uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the I'm not bitter mentions. about it at all. It's all right. <laughs> well, I I, uh, I didn't – I have seen this one. I saw it once probably five or six years ago. Uh, watched it probably on either Shutter or Netflix or something. And the only thing I really remember about it is the segment with Pollyanna McIntosh. Oh. That's the yeah. one that stands out that I really remember well. And then I remember Joe Dante had a cameo in one. Uh, is that oh, the same well, movie? I don't remember where, but yeah, I believe so. 
he's like a scientist or something, like a toy factory maybe. But I don't have a whole lot to say about that one just because I don't remember much about it. But I'm going to let you, you wax poetic a little bit about it because I know you're a fan of it. Oh, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm remembering John Landis is in there too because John Landis and Joe Dante. But yeah, I mean, it's got all kinds of modern day genre directors, you know, from like big guys like, uh, God, um, the guy who's done some of the Saw movies, Darren Lynn Bousman. Mm-hmm. saying his name right neil marshall that's probably the biggest name for a lot of genre fans you know neil marshall whips ass mm-hmm. uh, has made some classics uh, and then you know uh dave parker and mike mendez mike mendez being a personal fave of mine uh lucky mckee it's just it's it's a grab bag of little stuff and mo- it's pretty consistent i would say as i remember i'm mm-hmm. actually going to re watch it before halloween this year i may actually make it one of my halloween movies this year who knows but i'm looking at the um wikipedia and i see it's the film debut of jack dylan grazier which is kind of cool i'm a fan of his he's uh from um, it and shazam yeah a uh, little uh, eddie yeah i just remember there's uh the the devil played by barry bostwick who's really good and having fun there's there it gets a little darker and more violent in some of the episodes and i remember there's this one about bullies and shit and this kid who's getting revenge by getting a demon to come back or something <laughs> and then a really uh, cool cast sam whitwer greg grunberg barbara crampton yeah uh, Healy, adam green Stuart gordon i guess those are cameos uh uh-huh. yeah and dana gould uh who's Apparently, I'm, I'm guessing a big horror fan. Uh, he's a stand-up comic and a writer for The Simpsons mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I think he created that show with John McGinley recently, Stand versus Evil, or whatever yeah. it's called. I think he created that. Yeah, I think uh, that's true. I haven't seen uh, any of those episodes, but yeah, I think that's the case. Yeah, so and he's in this, and he's like, it's like a war between neighbors who are doing Halloween decorations and shit and they <laughs> yeah. end up killing each other in their front yard it's amazing it's it's just it, it's really fun and then mike mendez does one that's like this weird takeoff on a slasher movie that turns into this alien thing and a possession and it's just kind of all over the place but it's a lot it's just rad dude and then you have adrian barbeau and i think she's doing the the radio dj thing again uh, like she does in the fog yeah it's just it's a ton of fucking fun i think you need to watch it again yeah, I should definitely give it another chance because it's been I, I, I want to say I watched it like as soon as it came out. So that was like 2015, 2016. So it's been a while. It was, it was on Netflix for years. I mean, I just remember I would go back and oh, there it is. And I would watch it again. I bought a copy digitally a little bit ago. And of course, it's been sitting there unwatched since I got it. I just put it in the collection and I'm going to watch it this Halloween. I'm going to do it. But moving on from that one. Well, I was going to say uh, a good transition uh, you know, you oh. mentioned Dana Gould. Yeah, uh, he also appears in Southbound, which is another one that we did not end up making the final list, but it was close. <laughs> and um, I like that one a lot. I actually rewatched that one again tonight, just a few hours ago, and I guess that was probably the third time I've seen it. And it's really good. I, I and uh, Dana Gould is in that one as part of like a cult, uh, which you know I'm big on the uh, the cult shit. <laughs> so yes. I really like that segment, and that one also um, has the young girl from. Uh, Starry Eyes. We've talked yeah. about her on a recent episode. I forget her name now. Fabian Therese, is, I, I, if I'm saying her name correctly. But yeah, it's it's got, um, you know, I like the cult stuff. And Southbound is a really interesting one because, you know, a lot of it, I mean, there's different types of anthologies. Normally when I think of one, it's something like Tales from the Crypt or VHS, where there's an overarching framing sequences that the movies kind of are unconnected as far as like the individual stories, but like, like uh, a wraparound or what have you, even, or like a specifically defined stories. 
Yeah, they're, they're all repetitive, their own little thing. Yeah, Southbound doesn't do that. It starts right. at one place, and it ends in the place it starts. It's a circular yeah. thing. And every story just kind of bleeds into the next one. They all just kind of become the next one. When I was rewatching it with my wife recently, we, after it was over, we were like, it's so cool that it's not like typical anthologies in that fashion that you're watching it and then you're like, oh, we're on the next story now. You just kind of realize, oh, we're in the next one. Yeah. And that's really groovy. And the way they do it works really well. It's also very dark. <laughs> oh, big time. Yeah. It's you know, the really first thing good. I ever had seen of Southbound was a GIF. And it was of the like skeleton, flying skeleton creature shoving its arm down that guy's throat. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, what the, the directors fuck is of this? And, and um, Scream 6, by the way. Sorry. Oh, yeah. The Radio Silence guys. Yeah. 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 That's. Tyler, I want to say. Anyway, yeah, that uh, was nuts. I think that the the those special effects are not what you would call the most top notch, awesome fucking. No, they're stuff. yeah, but it's fucking cool as shit. That's a really interesting look. Mm-hmm. They're just as good as they need to be to make me feel creeped the fuck out when I see them. They are utilized in a really effective way. And yeah, when that thing goes fucking trolling down his fucking gullet. <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you. I, I I vote for none of that. <laughs> the movie is really cool. I mean, like I was saying, I said I want to make sure I note. I feel it's very dark. I think it has to be because the whole movie seems to be about they're like in purgatory. Right. They're all fucking dead, and they've all done <laughs> terrible things, and they must all suffer. And we're kind of watching their little loop of suffering, and torment. So not day at the beach exactly, uh, but it's rat. It's really, really cool. Uh, it's got a real strong, this sounds shitty. It, it feels like exactly what it is, which is a early to mid, in this case, mid teens, you know, the 2010s indie horror. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a, a, an all-star David Bruckner shows up, like I said, as, as director of the Radio Silence guys, Roxanne Benjamin. It's, it feels like that era of indie horror. And I mean that in a really awesome way. It's like a really great representation of what was going on in horror at that level at that time in this little uh, community. And it's cool to see all these people making a movie together. I have no idea how this, how, how it came to be. You know what I mean? What the genesis of it was. How they got everybody involved. Or if they were all just out drinking one night after some fucking convention or some fantastic fest or something. <laughs> they all met. Like, let's fucking, you know, they, they all came up with a story drunk in Austin one night, who knows? But however it came about, it just feels like just such a really cool snapshot of, like I was saying, like indie horror at this time, or at that time, almost 10 years ago now, Jesus Christ. And I dig it. I'm glad you made me rewatch it. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a bit, and by you bringing it up, I, coming really close to making our list, I had to rewatch it, and yeah, man, it's not one of the ones that's fun like the others. Maybe no, no. that's why I'm, I'm kind of okay with it not. I feel... And, and this is not true of all anthologies, and this is a perfect example of it, but my favorites, and, and I want to hear what you think, my favorites are the ones that are a little, they have a little bit of dark humor to it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of anthologies seem to share that, and I don't know why. Just because it works best for those little smaller stories really helps the medicine go down in a way. I, I don't know, but Southbound does not have that EC Comics humor. It does have the whole get your comeuppance shit yes. that's so mm-hmm. prevalent in EC Comics, uh, and as such has trickled down to a lot of stuff, you know, in horror anthologies through that influence, like Tales from the Hood and whatnot. 
is so EC Comics influenced, it's not even funny. Yeah. Uh, it just adds the element of race um, onto the social aspect of it, which is, you know, very Twilight Zone. It's just much more focused. And I'm starting to fucking get way into the weeds. I'm sorry. No, you, you know, speaking of Tales from the Hood, that was another one that we had considered and did not make the final. Uh, but um, I rewatched Tales from the Hood, I think, last year or maybe the previous. I had not seen it since I was really young when... It was on HBO or something, and it held up really well, a lot better than I thought it would. I especially so like bad. the uh, the David Gordon or not David, uh, the David Allen Greer um, as the abusive father, like totally playing out of character for him. Uh, yeah. um, and and the way his he gets his comeuppance of that one was yeah and really cool. Um, yeah, and I think that's awesome because that's that's a really cool thing it illustrates about anthologies, which is that is you're the very first person I ever met who picked that one as their favorite out of that one. Now, I'm not saying that one's hated or anything like yeah. that. I think that one might be hard for a lot of people to take because that one's about child abuse. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff in Tales from the Crypt that gets pretty, uh, Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Hood, that gets pretty dark, very pointedly and, you know, by design. The last episode of that, about the uh, gangbanger in the experimental, you know, prison mm-hmm. where he's going through the experimental therapy, very clockwork orange. That shit is brutal. And not just in terms of violence or anything like that. It's actually probably lesser so than the rest of it. It's uh, ideas wise and what it's forcing you to confront. The movie is really powerful in parts. Uh, I really, really love Tales from the Hood. I wish it got more love these days i've seen it get quite a bit more i mean uh, quite a bit more in the past few years like as people seem to be rediscovering it i think i'm just greedy for things that i love to get more so i just wish more people were discovering it quicker you know like come on fuckers wake up so that's your favorite one what's that that, well that i can off the top of my head um i'm trying to think of what the other segment i know there's the puppets there's the one with the little dolls Yeah. yeah Uh, there's the first one with the like the Martin Luther King style uh, activist or community yeah. leader getting murdered by the street cops, mm-hmm. and yeah. then his uh, his corpse comes back a year later to get his revenge on them. Yeah, you know, and that's pretty racially ugly. Mm-hmm. The the doll ones are uh, ghosts of slaves from the plantation that the David Dukes type guy who owns the plantation is running. Yeah governor or some shit um and obviously he gets his comeuppance yeah uh, they have like really cool stop motion animation in that uh, oh, man. it's so cool yeah that's the do you know how to say it? the is it the kyoto brothers or the chiyoto brothers the guys I who did i think it's kyoto but i don't I know that to too. a certainty <laughs> it's the critters guys the killer clowns, killer clowns. Guys, fucking geniuses basically if, if all they ever did was critters and killer clowns yeah they could just rest easy and be like, "Yeah, we did that shit." What? <laughs> but yeah, their work on this is is awesome, and it's just it's just really good. Uh, and of course, we hadn't even mentioned, like you said, they have a wraparound. This one's wraparound is at a mortuary. The mortuary is ran by motherfucking Clarence Williams the <laughs> Third, and that dude is out of his fucking mind, <laughs> off his rocker, off the reservation, and he is having the best time. It's it's really great. It's really great. And we have talked about it before. I know a lot of people don't feel the same way. It's way cheaper and not as successful because of it. I really like the direct-to-video sequel 
uh, recent years where Keith David has taken over from Clarence Williams because he is sadly no longer with us. Uh, Keith David is not doing it the same way, but he's having fun and he's really good. And then the third one, which also recently came out direct video, I also feel is worthwhile. Uh, I know that might get me slapped around in some quarters <laughs> these days. I dig them. I, I really like what the Tales from the Hood movies are trying to do. Uh, like I said, you know, it's social commentary and horror and uh, you know the racial commentary of course is very prevalent but it's it feels very much like a modern day version of what the twilight zone did when they were in horror mode and speaking on or, or trying to speak on matters of race except these are made by people of color and it's fuck dude that that wasn't happening back when Rod, right. uh, Rod Serling was making his stories. This is pretty cool. And I know they're not as successful as everybody as they would want them to be. They would be like, yeah, that's really groovy. I just wish I liked the movies more. And that's fine, too. That's fair. I do like them. I hope yeah, I haven't you seen watch the, two uh, and three. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I haven't seen the watch those. Uh, Yes, Tales from the Hood is on Tubi and Peacock, too. Tales from the Hood 3 says, fuck you in the face. You <laughs> well, I didn't even know they had made a third one, so I'm assuming that's a pretty recent. That's 2020. Oh, okay. Uh, part two is 2018. And they had, I mean, what, the first one is 93, 94? Yeah. Oh, 95. Yeah. I bet. That is, between. yeah. <laughs> the first one is also on Tubi and Peacock. So part one and two are on Tubi and Peacock. For uh, Part three, you got to work a little harder for. So also speaking of mortuary stuff, we weren't able to get a more recent anthology in our top five a, from the 2020s. Yeah. But we both did enjoy the mortuary collection. The mm-hmm. one with Clancy Brown in the wraparound segment. Uh, when did you see that when it first dropped? Yeah, I watched that. I mean, probably like the weekend it came out, if I remember right. But yeah, pretty early after it dropped on Shutter, and I really liked that one. Especially, I want to say there are three segments in that. Right? There's the babysitter, the body, and the thing about the, the kid. The birth. Yeah. The the. Yeah. I really like the one with the college kids a lot, and I like the babysitter one pretty well. The the one with the body, I just felt like I've seen this type of thing so many times, I don't really care. <laughs> but other than that, I really liked it. I, I thought that segment was kind of kind of lame, but the other ones I really enjoyed, and I loved Clancy Brown as the uh, mortician. Well, everybody does. <laughs> I mean, I, everybody loves Clancy Brown, so yeah. I'm in this. I I think I laughed a lot if I'm rem- remembering correctly i only saw the movie the one time but i yeah it's, it's definitely got comedic bent to it especially no, I, that first i remember segment. laughing at the body segment oh okay what you didn't like yeah. it just struck me funny for some reason because stuff like that where it goes so terribly wrong mm-hmm. you know what i mean where it's just there's nothing you can do and it feels like everything's out of your control and it just gets worse and worse and it can either make you really uncomfortable or just make you start laughing and because of the grotesque nature of it, as I remember it, I was laughing a lot. Like he went nuts or whatever, like it by the end, and it was just foul and gross and very funny to me. <laughs> but the way it, the way it kind of takes a turn at the end with the uh, the babysitter story, and it it completely reframes uh, the framing story, which is kind of brilliant and and a, a new wrinkle in the uh, anthology movies that I've seen. Sometimes they do that where. It's all tied into something else, and it, something is not what you think, mm-hmm. but it's usually in the way where the person telling the story is like the devil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or right. something, or we're all dead, or you know that kind of thing. It was a different kind of twist, and I really dug it, man. I really dug it. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, because if anyone listening to this right. 
hasn't seen the Mortuary Collection, you should definitely, definitely check it out. Definitely check it out. If we were doing six movies, don't you think it would be on there? Oh, I think so, yeah. It's definitely the one out of the 2020s that I would have picked, uh, which, I mean, we're only, you know, three years in, so we got, <laughs> there's still some time Good to go. Good point. Good point. Yeah, I, I, I think the Mortuary Collection is definitely, it's got to be the best of the decade. I mean, what else are we going to, what else are we going to say? Anything else <laughs> yeah. come to mind? I mean, the only ones I can think of are the VHS movies that Shutter has put up. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are others, but I, I'm having trouble thinking of anything off the top of my head that, at least that I've seen, that are uh, horror anthologies from, from the last three years. And you know what? Just to be straight out about it, anybody who wishes or demands that our list of five anthology movies be nothing but VHS movies, <laughs> get used to disappointment because you ass out. That's not happening tonight. I mean, I don't know that there's really that big a fan base for the VHS. Movies. I think that, I, no, I think it definitely has its cult fan base. Yeah. And I think the general horror community is excited when a new one comes out and is more or less like, yeah, there's some really good stuff. And then some of it sucked. And yeah. then there's going to be people that are like, oh, this one really let me down. The last one was good, but this one sucks. And then there's going to be people that are like, oh, my God, I thought the last one sucked and this one's really good. So it's it's like any anthology. It, 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 it is up and down. But there does seem to be a small yet loyal contingent that is like, it's probably the younger fans. Because, I mean, you know, these are... I'm not saying they're made for younger people, but these are not horror movies made by the old guard. By and large, most of the filmmakers are under 40. Uh, so again, it's it's the new indie scene. Some of Tales of Halloween had guys in their 40s and 50s and stuff, but the VHS movies feel more like the newer the newer guard. And that's cool too. And I, I like that's why, I hope that's why a lot of people really take them to heart as theirs. They need their stuff too. We were pretty lucky, uh, people my age. We got a lot of groovy stuff in the 80s. What's up? <laughs> but kids these days or younger people or whatever generation, they need their fucking horror anthologies too. And I hope they have just as many hits as they do misses, just like the rest of us do. But yeah, that means that, we should get back to some older stuff. Yeah, let's let's transition, I guess, into our top five. And I use that term loosely because – but um, the, the five we've, we've chosen. So we're going to start with the 70s. We got – Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Tales British, from the fucking Crypt. <laughs> British horror film, 1972, directed by Freddie Francis. And this one... Great cinematographer. What about director? Oh, no, no. I mean, yeah, he's a, he's, oh, he's okay. a director. I don't think he directed... <laughs> I didn't know if that was like a backhanded, like, yeah, he's a great cinematographer for a director. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying that's what he's mainly known for. I mean, he yeah. won an Academy Award for it, bro. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just mean, I don't think he directed very much. This might have been one of the only things he, he did. Like five, six movies, maybe? No, I'm fucking confused. He did a whole bunch. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't realize, or I wasn't certain, because I, I had seen parts of this in, in my teen years. Uh, this is, for this episode, I watched it for the first time, you know, from start to finish. And I knew that there was a Tales from the Crypt movie from the 70s. I did not, was not certain if it was based on the comic book series the way a lot of the episodes of the TV show was. And that is the case. Uh, a lot of, uh, this, this is a, an anthology film with five separate segments that are based on Tales from the Crypt uh, comic book uh, stories or or um, the sister books like Vault of Horror or stuff like that. Yeah, I was surprised how many came from. The first one is from Vault of Horror, second one from Tales from the Crypt, third one from Haunt of Fear, then Haunt of Fear again, then Tales from the Crypt, and that's it. But yeah, 
it's pretty funny that only two of them are from Tales from the Crypt. But it's also very cool, like you said, that they're taking them from the sister publications because they were going off at that point. Uh, we see comics; they just had they were cranking it out, and clearly it was cool, pulpy, you know, really enjoyable, entertaining, you know, stories mm. that you know the influence is still being felt today from those comic books, bro. Yeah, it's rad. You know, if if Tales from the Crypt ever becomes available in any kind of wide beyond you know what we can get on dvd here and there like mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if that's still available but they put out a dvd set a few years ago they didn't do it on blu-ray even though blu-ray yeah. had been out for like 10 fucking years they were like no here here finally have a dvd set i don't even know if that's still in print but anyway i'm saying it's not easy to find if it ever goes to like hbo max or max or hm P-A-O-X, whatever the fuck they're calling it then. If it ever goes to streaming or something, I think we should totally do a couple. We should watch a whole fuckload of it or watch the whole thing and then do uh, a few episodes of it. I mean... The uh, Tell from the Crypt, the intro, you know, it's got it's got, you know, the host and the the wraparound segments and everything. Great British actor Ralph Richardson. Mm -hmm. Every time I see the movie, I'm amazed that he's playing the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, and he yeah. doesn't look like the Crypt Keeper as we think of him because of the TV show. Yeah, it's just a, an older guy in a hood, basically. Yeah. With robes and stuff. Yeah. Like uh, a hugely respected British thespian. You know, they put him in, in robes in a hood and he speaks very, you know, <laughs> and it's like, okay. It's cool, though. Yeah, so I haven't seen the other, like, British anthologies that were uh, hip around this time. Do, do they all have, uh, like, a Crypt Keeper or some type of type character i want to say vault of horror does i i haven't seen them vault of horror in a while i know that asylum does not asylum is the wraparound story is doctor at an insane asylum telling i think like another a new doctor on staff uh, about certain patients their cases and those are yeah. the stories but yeah those are all really good uh we were talking about this before uh house the drip blood and Asylum are written by Robert Block based on short stories he wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Block being the uh, writer of Psycho. So, you know, the guy who created Norman Bates, not too shabby. Yeah. Um, and Vault of Horror and this are obviously based on uh, those old comic books, but they're all really good. Uh, you should really see those. I'm sure you don't remember all the work I went to last time we talked about it. And I looked up each <laughs> one and told you what was streaming. I way. do. <laughs> you do remember? Well, I don't remember the specifics, but I remember you checking. Now you don't know where they are. Oh, look. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, they're all out there. Um, they're all worth watching. I think they're all worth watching. And as I told you, and I will tell our handful of listeners, um, Shot Factory has a great double feature Blu-ray of Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror. I have it, and it's fantastic. Probably about as good as the movie's going to look, unless they decide to put it on 4K. You should get it, Chris. Anyone listening? You should get it. So yeah, there's that one. There's uh, the wraparound with that. Then it goes into talking to all the people that he's leading through this crypt. They're like on a tour of some bullshit. Yeah, right. These old <laughs> and, caves and stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, he goes from person to person who's in this like little touristy thing. And the first one is Joan Collins of Dynasty fame. Slapping uh-huh. people in the face on Dynasty. <laughs> and... People who know the original TV show or know of it might be familiar with the setup and story for this one and all through the house because the pilot of the TV show, right? It is one of the segments in the TV show, the one that Robert Zemeckis did 
about a murderous uh, Santa Claus terrorizing a lady in her home with an axe and, you know, other fun assorted stuff. It's pretty great. What did you think about, because you said you hadn't seen this. Did you remember this one from when you had kind of had vague memories of it before? Uh, no, the ones I remember were from later in the movie. And I had seen the Tales from the Crypt episode, you know, a couple years ago when I got the DVD set. Uh, and that's when I realized, like, oh, they're actually doing, uh, is, is All Through the House the only one that is also covered on the TV show out of these segments? I believe so. Okay. I believe so. I don't. I yeah, I want to say I don't I don't believe anything else. At least not from this movie. I can't say from Vault of Horror, but I don't think so. Yeah, this one was solid. You know, I mean the the TV show does it better, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is pretty good. You know, it's basically a woman has killed her husband and then, you know, she hears, you know, the the old radio announcement of a homicidal maniac that's on the loose <laughs> and uh, oh. he shows up at her house and so she can't call the cops because if they if they show, they show up, they're going to know she killed her husband or whatever. So, and she's got a daughter in the house. It, it's it's pretty good. Like it's not a bad segment or anything, but I, it is better. I think on the. I think Zemeckis has got to lean into the more lurid, you know, very cartoony aspects yeah. of, it, and it's very stylized and whatnot. This one is more of a piece with the rest of the movie, which is you know kind of a stylish, old school, classical British horror of the seventies, and it's well done in that fashion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Zemeckis gets to have way more fun with it. But in both, I mean, the story is essentially the same. And the story is nuts. This fucking crazy bitch fucking kills her <laughs> husband. Horrible though he may be, you know, she kills him with her daughter in the house. Right. You know, in both ones. And it's like, oh, okay. But that's so awesome because it is very much the EC Comics type thing. It's about horrible people doing horrible things and then getting fucked over for it. Yeah. You know, or, you know, they don't get away with it or they think they get away with it. But then, you know, oh, An no, ironic the, twist. Yeah. <laughs> or just something as simple as, hey, the corpse has something to say about all this. You know, it's it's just like that here. And the, the you know, the the ironic, bitter twist at the end, you know, the little daughter fucks everything up. I love. It. And we should mention that the people on this like tour at the beginning of the Crypt Keeper is telling these stories to the people from the tour are like the stars of all of the segments. So like they're hearing their own fates basically, but from the Crypt Keeper, yeah. um, the, the second segment I liked a lot, which is reflection of death. It's a shorter one. It's what was it? Maybe like less than 10 minutes, uh, which is where a guy, you know, leaves his wife and, and gets with his secretary. They have a car accident. And then, he uh, wakes up in a ditch and tries to make it home, but like everybody's terrified of him. And then it's a pretty cool twist that he's dead, and like it's his, he's just like a corpse making his way back home two years later. Absolutely terrifying everybody who comes across him because yeah. we see him as he sees himself or thinks yeah, of it's him. all POV or POV. Yeah. He's just this shambling corpse, which is pretty great. It's you know, like I like it. Yeah, I there's don't, not a whole lot to say about it. I mean, <laughs> but I just I like the. Yeah. The way it ended, mostly. It does have a pretty cool like twist at the end. I mean, it's kind of familiar because I've seen it so many times since. Sure. Yeah. You know, but it is still, you know, it's still cool. And it's still cool. I'm I'm definitely not over here shitting on you for saying you really like it. <laughs> Feel free to like the shit you like, Chris. Yeah. It's sure. not shit. It's not <laughs> shit. Yeah, the next one, poetic, just like we're gonna kind of. I mean, we got a lot of, to go through, so uh, feel free to 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 jump in if you want to stick with something longer. But I'll on poetic justice. That's the next one, um, probably the most famous besides maybe Joan Allen, actor. Joan in Allen. The, sorry, oh, Joan Collins. Gotcha. Joan yeah, Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was completely thrown for a second. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, okay. 
Yeah, uh, because Peter Cushing's in it. Now, this one I really do like. Yeah. Because it's just these fuckers, dude. You know what I mean? It's about yeah. these two guys. It's this old dude and this young bitch man. <laughs> you know, just yeah, I can't tell if they're supposed to be father like a couple, son or a couple. Father. I have no idea. I really don't care because I hate them both, and I'm glad yeah, they they're both dead. Suck. I said it. I'm glad they're dead. <laughs> but yeah, they just they it's it's the same you know story. They live in a neighborhood with their fancy little house, and they think they're really, you know, fancy and uppity and everything. And there's a local guy who they think is kind of shoddy. They don't like the way he dresses. He's old, and, you know, he just, you know, he's weird, and the kids are around him all the time. There's something wrong with him, right? And his guard is dogs. They hate the dogs. And what they just decide to do is basically ruin this man's life, ruin his life. They drive him to suicide <laughs> was that wasn't there i don't think that was their intention they just wanted to try and run him out of ta- out of town or off the street yeah. or whatever i think they wanted uh, to make him leave the neighborhood but the, like the way yeah, rich privileged people do they thought they were better than him and there's <laughs> there's a point when after he dies they go to his house and they're amazed to find how neat and tidy and lovely his house is inside because they really didn't know him at all they had decided what they thought they knew about him and so they decided they wanted to ruin him they couldn't have him around. And so they drove him out. And in doing so, they drove him off this mortal coil. <laughs> but it's okay. Because as so often happens in these things, a year later, he comes back. Not the way we saw Peter Cushing before, but a version of Peter Cushing, looking real sharp, comes back. And he's got he's got thoughts on his mind, Chris. He's got, he's got things he wants to talk about, like, <laughs> like Russell Crowe on Twitter. He wanted their. He didn't want their address. He knew their address. He came to their front door so he could discuss his passions with them. Yeah, and we see before uh, he kills himself that, or I guess it's I guess the the neighbors when they find the body they see he's got like a bunch of occult stuff, you know, on his desk. He's trying to contact his dead wife because he's a widower. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so horrible. He lives alone. He lost his wife. He, he is nice to the children of the neighborhood because it helps him feel like he doesn't want to kill himself to be nice to, to kids. Sure. And that makes him feel good. And he's got his dog, his companion. And they make him, you know, they take the dogs away from him. And then they make the kids stay away from him. And then he kills himself. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, uh, you know, the occult stuff, at least maybe that gives you a hint of, like, how yeah. he comes back. Uh, yeah. Whereas in a lot of the stuff in this one, like with the the car crash victim and with some of the other stories we'll talk about later, like people just rise from the grave for no reason apparently. But it's uh, just a thing that happens. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, this one was really good and Cushing. It was. It's always cool to see him in something besides Star Wars for me because that's you know what I know him so well from uh, growing up. Uh, I've only seen him in a handful of things outside of that, but. Um, yeah, he's really good in it. And yeah, again, I hate those uh, fuckers that are trying to drive him crazy. Uh, I, I'm glad he gets, you know, again, it's all about the comeuppance. And <laughs> they definitely get theirs. But I, I wish it was more. Yeah. And, and I wish they got it worse. And that's probably, this is probably the goriest uh, segment just from the way that it ends. I guess yeah, maybe the next one is probably the goriest with the, with the pieces of people. Yeah. yeah. But this also has, you know, a heart and fucking, right. yeah, I mean, it's. The movie can get surprisingly bloody. There's a couple of shots where I'm like, fuck, it's so rad what you used to be able to get away with a PG rating. But yeah, this one is good, and it, it's, again, very much in the wheelhouse and, and in the, the tradition of these fine stories and you know why they kind of became a whole type of story, a genre, mm-hmm. a subgenre unto themselves. 
it's very much uh, one of those. <laughs> uh, the next one, Wish You Were Here, um, which is essentially just a monkey's paw, yeah, uh, a version right. of the monkey's paw, where be careful what you wish for type stuff. This is one that I do remember a little bit from, from when I was uh, younger. Uh, I specifically remember them bringing the, the cart and the body back in and... Uh, you know, they, they wish uh, the, the woman wishes. Is it her husband that had died? Yeah. In a car crash. Uh, she wishes him back to life. He's already been embalmed. So when he comes back to life, he's got all these fluids running through his body and he's in intense agony. And it starts to kill him again and chop him up and it's not working. Uh, and that was like really shocking to me, you know, when I first saw this for the first time. It's fairly memorable. Yeah. 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 And, and um, you know, the, the car crash that he, he basically was. I guess, do we actually see the crash? I can't remember. I know we see the motorcycle guy with the skull helmet. I don't think we actually see the crash, but... Um, no, I don't think so. The image of the guy on the motorcycle with that helmet is pretty memorable, too. It's death. Yeah, basically death following him. Uh, but yeah, it, it's kind of a standard, you know, monkey spot thing. It was pretty good. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it besides that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really have a lot to say about it, but not because I don't like it. It is yeah, one of yeah. the best ones there. It's just, this is one that it's like, look, if you want to watch the movie, if this sounds like the kind of thing you're into, this is something you should just watch. It's really good. Watch this part. You know what I mean? It is a variation on the monkey's paw. It's kind of nutty. Uh, there's some stuff that might catch you by surprise. You go, Whoa, oh, yeah, it's kind of fucked up, isn't it? Oh, and, you know, it's got that whole bitter irony of it where you're like, oh, I fucked up. Let me make it worse. And, oh, you made it worse. You made it worse. It's, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. It's real satisfying. Uh, this is a very satisfying episode. And I, and I guess it's hard to, sometimes I call them segments. Sometimes I call them episodes, like it's a TV show, sure. like the Twilight Zone. But sorry, what I'm saying is I apologize if it's driving anybody bug shit. You're like, it's it's a segment. <laughs> it's a chapter. You know? But yeah, this is this is one of the good ones. I mean, they're all, like you said, they're all good in this one. I don't think there's anything that's bad, even though the one with the car crash uh, uh, and the dead guy coming back to life is like, it's fine for me. Yeah. I, still, I still think it's good. But the next one, whoo-hoo. Blind Alleys. That's, uh, yeah, bro. Uh, which is pretty, I think it's the last of the, uh, the story segments. It is indeed. Now, you hadn't seen this one, right? Or you no, didn't this, this is the one that I had the most memory of. Oh. I don't think I had seen the beginning of it. But I had seen. You like, remember how it ends, though. Yes, That's I remember how it ended. So basically, this guy takes over a home for the blind and immediately he basically, begins mistreating everybody. Yeah, he he basically treats the the people there like crap and is probably embezzling money <laughs> from yeah. the from the facility. Um, and there's a uh, kind of a lead guy. In the, in the institution, see, I guess that's uh, George Carter is the character's name, Patrick McGee. And he sort of comes up with a plan to get revenge on the guy, uh, which works out pretty well. Are you saying that someone's about to get their comeuppance, Chris? <laughs> it seems to be the case. Fuck yeah. Um, I love it when people get their comeuppance. <laughs> so the, the uh, director or whatever his, I don't know what his position is exactly at the, at the institute, but uh, he has this pet uh, German shepherd that... Uh, is uh, always following him around, and he uses the dog to threaten the residents as well. But th their plan involves them basically kidnapping the dog and trapping him in isolation for a while until it kind of gets so hungry that it's starting to go crazy. And they do they um, drug uh, Rogers to to get him isolated as well. I know they get them locked in rooms that are like very close to each other. Yeah, and and, and they keep them they keep them hidden and separated while they uh, put together this hallway littered with the razor blades and, and it's kind of a little elaborate. Walls. 
Yeah, it's it's a really elaborate plan for, for these people to go through for very little. Like, why, why not just, like, throw the dog in the in the room <laughs> at the end? Well, because it's intensely painful for the last few minutes of his life. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, for it's a really bad way to go. For the movie, it works out really well. So the guy basically has to creep through this tiny hallway with, with razor blades all over both sides of the walls. And once he gets to the other side, the dog is let loose, and I think they turn the lights out on him as well. So he he's the kind of stuck in a fucking hard place. The starving dog loose, and he has to go back the way he came. Not he, there's no escape, but yeah. To run away, to not just stand there and get mauled by a starving dog. He has to run back through the dark, through a very narrow, like, not just narrow, beyond narrow, a uh, hallway with razor blades on either side in the dark. He's just going to get slashed to shit and then eaten to death. <laughs> yeah, you get mauled by your dog or you get sliced to ribbons in this hallway. So, I definitely remember this and a weird story, like, I watched this on, like, flicks or... You know, one of those, like one of the lowest rung movie channels, there was like HBO, and then Cinemax, then Showtime, then the movie channel, and then there was Flix. It was like the Flix. lowest rent uh, movie channel back then. Lucky bastard. That's what, what I would have liked having Flix, the movie channel, all that shit. Yeah. Well, we, we were, you know, my dad, I don't know if I've told you this before, but my dad ran a hotel and we lived on the ground. So we had all the channels right. that they had. So that's why we had all the movie channels. But um, anyway, so I had seen it. And then like a year, like the following summer or maybe two years later, I was working maintenance with a friend of mine. And we were in like this maintenance shop. And there were these razor blades all over the table. And I picked up one of the razor blades and I was looking at it. And I was like, hey, you know, I saw this movie one. And my friend just interrupted me immediately. It was like, well, this guy was running from a dog. He had to go through this really narrow hallway with razor blades all over the wall. And then he would get cut up to ribbons if he didn't run away from the dog. And I was like, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> so and he I was like, oh, really? Uh, and it was just a really weird coincidence that he knew exactly what I was talking about just because I was holding these razor blades. Well, that's a memorable sequence. Yeah, but this was like also a guy who doesn't watch a lot of movies, so <laughs> I wouldn't have expected him to know if it was Die Hard. So. That is a pretty remarkable coincidence that you happen to run into a guy that could just immediately know what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that does speak again to how memorable it is. Yeah. And if you do happen to find someone who's seen it, they are going to remember it. Yeah, that's good shit, though. But yeah, so that's pretty much all for this sequence. And then it goes to the finale, which is them back with the Crypt Keeper. And you find out they're in hell and they all, they're all they all dead. And they end up falling into a giant lava pit, basically. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's that good shit where everybody's dead and I'm the devil. You know, it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Very satisfying. A lot of these have that whole, well, not a lot of them, but it seems like a, a, there's an element of their morality plays. Yeah, the the bad people don't always get what's coming to them. Mostly they do. Kind of seems to be the point. But that seems to be an element in a lot of these. Even in something like Southbound that isn't structured as uh, traditionally as the rest. That again was all about paying for your sins and again the comeuppance. Wow, anthologies. <laughs> the genre uh, so, of comeuppance. So let's move to the eighties. Let's do it. So the next one we got is Creep Show. The Stephen King, George Romero collaboration. And this one was not on my list, but you uh, had it on your list. So we, we made sure to get it in. <laughs> and uh, I refuse. You, were, you refuse. were pretty. Uh, refuse, Chris. <laughs> I refuse to take part in any list making of anthology movies or, or otherwise. That does not include Creepshow on it. I, I would I would have not recorded this episode. <laughs> 
So yeah, I, I watched this for the first time maybe a decade ago. It's been it's been a little while, but not I didn't see it, you know, in the eighties or nineties. And the first time I watched it, you know, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I wasn't blown away. Travesty. And I actually enjoyed it more this time, I think. I don't. Um, so yeah, it, it is also, you know, there's a there's like a prologue, you know, introduction of this of a young Joe Hill, Stephen King's yeah. son, playing uh, this boy Billy, whose dad is Tom Atkins, man. Yeah, the great mustacheless Tom Atkins. See mustacheless. No, mustacheless, yes. And he's letting everybody know that's why God made fathers, babe. That's why God made fathers. But yeah, he's a dickhead to his kid who's reading this horror comic book. And this is the most literal of any of these about being a comic book movie, you know, based on these EC comics. Not even any of the Tales from the Crypt, all the horror stuff was like this. Did they initially want to use. Oh, no, no, no. They wanted it all to be originals because Romero and King loved the comic books and they wanted to do a tribute to them. Gotcha. And Stephen King had already written some stories that I think he, in spirit, or, or, you know, was just flat out, they were prose stories, but they were inspired by the EC comics that he had read and loved as a kid. Because I know The Crate was a story before, a short story, and that's EC all the way. But yeah, it's all original stuff, and uh, thank God for it. Now, this one, this one here is, I insisted it be on the list because it's so important to me. It's either this or The Howling. That was the first horror movie, like R-rated horror movie that I can remember seeing. And I would have seen whichever ones I saw first. I would have seen them within months of each other. So we're talking like right around the same time. But like these were on video. Yeah, the Howling I think was on cable, uh, like Cinemax or HBO. It could have been VHS. The Creep Show I know specifically was VHS. My aunt and cousin had rented it, and they were watching it at my house late at night. And we had already gone to bed, myself and my sister. We weren't supposed to be up, but I knew they were watching this movie, and I'd seen the the cover with the lady, uh, the skeleton lady at the ticket taker window. And obviously that appealed to me, and you know it it scared the shit out of me and drew me in like a fucking moth to a flame. I was intrigued and I needed to know more. So I snuck out of my room and snuck down the hallway and I went around like the corner of this, uh, the, the edge of the, of the room where they were watching the movie. And I was able to slip in behind the couch that my <laughs> aunt and cousin were on. And I was able to hide behind the couch and poke my head out around it and watch the movie. And I would watch for, I would watch it until it would scare me. And then I would pull my head back and I would wait a few minutes and gather my strength. And when I felt <laughs> strong again, when I felt like I could handle it, I'd slowly ease my head back out and I'd watch it until I couldn't, until something showed me, until something popped up that I just couldn't hang. And I remember specific visual images like Ted Danson's head snapping back and blue blood coming down of his face. Uh-huh. That has stuck with me for years. I don't know why Fluffy didn't, you know, the, the monster from the crate. Maybe I would just block that out from sheer terror. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe at, at a certain point, I know I, I crawled back to my bedroom. I gave up, <laughs> but it was a hugely formative experience sneaking out there and seeing part of it. And then as soon as I could, I saw all of it and it was a lot like the crate got pretty gory. And I was yeah. a kid. I, when I finally saw the whole thing, I was maybe eight, <laughs> eight, nine, but I was determined and I saw that shit. And yeah, man, I had to have it on here. It's, it's my man, Stephen King. It's it's one of my other dudes, George A. Romero. George A., the late, great George A. It has one of, it has a couple of just all-time or anthology chapters, episodes, mm-hmm. stories. I do specifically remember one segment that I watched 
in my teen years at some point. And it's weird because I remember watching it almost probably in its entirety, but I don't think I saw any of the other segments until I watched it uh, 10 years ago or whenever it was. But we'll get to that when we get to that segment. (laughs) Cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's why it means a lot to me because it really did. It's one of those ones that you see that something that makes you a horror fan. This is one of the ones that guaranteed I would be a horror fan for life. Yeah. And... I just think it's a good movie in and of itself. It's not just one that appealed to me as a kid. I think it's legitimately good, even with the Stephen King, uh, Jordy Verrill uh, <laughs> story, which most well, people despise. Uh, yeah, I don't have. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I don't think it's bad. <laughs> it's, I'm not a huge it, fan of it, but that was another short story of his called Weeds. Yeah, then it became The Lonesome Death of Jordy Verrill, which is a great title. Yeah, it is. And you know, there's a it's got a pretty good collection of talent on this with Romero and King, obviously, but also you know Adrian Barbeau, Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson, yeah, Hal, Hal Oberg, Ed. Uh, oh, Ed Harris, Ed very Harris, young yeah. Ed Harris, dancing, yeah, very, very young, very still bald. Uh, yeah, he was always bald, I think, but he had the most hair here of any time I've ever seen. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and also you know, not just the cast. Let's talk about a major player behind the scenes providing special effects, Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, bro. Tom motherfucking Savini. Which this is after he had collaborated with Romero on Dawn, Dawn of the, of the Dead. Dead. Day yeah. of the Dead hadn't. No, Day of the Dead was three years after this. Um, yeah, and the, and the effects are excellent <laughs> as far as like yeah, the yeah. Uh, the puppetry, the animatronics, whatever, all the makeup, everything looks really cool. Yeah. The, the way Romero really leaned into using the comic book style, what with panels, sometimes actually mm-hmm. framing shots, the backlighting. Yeah. The crazy backlighting, the Dutch angles, not just backlighting, but sometimes effects back- behind people. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Backlights. When you say backlighting, it makes me think of the effects behind people and the reaction shots and like the screaming or like the, the, you know, <laughs> the, the, the gaping in terror or whatever, but also the way that sometimes in a scene to illustrate the change of mood, the way the scene will suddenly go into a dark purple and like bright red washed out or the gel will suddenly overtake the more natural lighting to illustrate, we're in terror now, you know. <laughs> it's awesome, dude. It's awesome. The only person who ever tried anything remotely like it was Ang Lee, I think. With the Hulk, yeah. Yeah, but even with his budget, and I think the Hulk, that whole thing, I really think what Ang Lee was going for there was really cool. Mm, yeah, I thought that was neat, that uh, technique. I didn't really... You know the Hulk movie's not great, I don't think. But you like uh, the way he did it. <laughs> yeah, I like I like the panel thing that he was doing. Yeah. I thought that was a neat trick. <laughs> but it's um, interesting in that this movie, with much less resources at its disposal, they, they because the effects are a little more crude. The, the way the the drawn frame around, like the panel around the the image we're seeing inside that's moving, but it's like this mm-hmm. thing with like a what do you call it? Like the um, the caption in bubble or whatever. Right, like, yeah. It gives it kind of a handmade look. And it really just, it adds a lot to the movie, I think. What, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, I, are you, as a comic fan, let's get into that. How familiar <laughs> are you with the actual old source material comics for the old Tales from the Crypt stuff and the inspiration for this? I'm only familiar, like, in that it's in the historical context. I haven't read a lot of those comics. Have you read any? Uh, I mean, I've flipped through some of the, like, the big collections. I've seen it, like, Barnes & Noble and stuff. And I know I've read, there was one that my friend had me read, and God damn it, I can't even remember what the storyline <laughs> was. But he had me read it, and it was good. And it made me think, you know what, I should really, there's so much there to dive into. I should really do that. I bet it'd be really rewarding. And I, I still feel that way without having done any of it yet. To my Mostly. knowledge, I haven't read any of the actual EC 
comic horror comics from mm. from back then. I do remember when I was maybe around ten or twelve, picking up a bunch of comics like at a flea market. Right on. Which I was already into comics, but they did the books I ended up getting were <clears> they didn't have like superhero comics, so it was all like uh-huh. just random stuff like space. You know, I remember one that was about like a giant space octopus thing, not Watchmen, but a different, like a small press thing from probably like the seventies or eighties. And then I remember specifically a Western horror story. And that was probably in a, you know, not an EC comic, but like somebody that was ripping them off, I would guess. (laughs) Um, I know EC did a lot of like hard boiled noir and crime and shit like that. And Westerns and horror and, all that good stuff. I, I really would like to look at a lot of those old comics for that. I Like I was saying, I know there's huge collections and hardcover collections, yeah. full color, uh, you know, just this big thing that says Tales from the Crypt. And it's like, fuck, look at that. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, so you're not really all that well-versed. Yeah, I'm not that well-versed on them as far as like I haven't read a lot of that stuff. But that's cool. But I mean, so we can just kind of enjoy these for what they are. But mm-hmm. again, like I said, a lot of these the styles and the storytelling ticks or just the things that, that they're interested in or the, the themes that come up a lot. Revenge, obviously. Yeah. Comeuppance, again, <laughs> the genre of comeuppance, specifically the EC comics, that's just seeped through to pop culture in such yeah. a way that we don't necessarily need to have had to read the comics. Tales from the Crypt, the TV show, helps us a lot, too. But this this was before that creep show. Yeah, and this leans more into the comic book look and stuff and for sure so i mean do you think that romero did that well i mean do you think he was yeah successful? yeah i think that a lot of that the look of it the colorfulness and stuff i think it is a is a benefit to the movie <laughs> i think it's really cool i think it just yeah. it just it's just so immersive in the sense of it it's really successful at making you feel like what they're trying to get you to think of and feel like and even if you again even if you aren't familiar with these, if you didn't grow up reading them the way that Romero and King did, it really makes you kind of feel like you're looking at one now. Yeah. You get the whole vibe. It feels right. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Super cool. So, yeah. So, there's the uh, – there's there's the, the – we'll go through them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, prologue the with the little one. kid. His dad takes away his horror comic. <laughs> and he gets thrown in the trash outside. The wind kind of blows the comic open, and that's how we are seeing the stories. As they move from one story to the other, it's because the comic is actually blowing through the pages, and all of the stories in the movie are from the comic, which is why I was saying it's it's the most literal of any of yeah. these. Literally saying, these are in this comic. But the first one is this kind of like a, a ready-or-not kind of family. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of rich people gathering together for Father's Day. The the oldest living member, the matriarch of the rich family, has them all get together for Father's Day every year because she celebrates her Father's Day in this really self-hating, drunken, kind of, you know, very Catholic kind of guilt thing. She had, years ago, she had a fiancé that her dad didn't approve of, so her father, who apparently was a monster uh, <laughs> and made his money through bootlegging or some shit, her father had her fiancé killed. So Bedelia, this lady's name, the great aunt Bedelia, Bedelia, after years of taking care of his dad, snaps and murders him, cracks his head open with an ashtray on Father's Day as he's pounding for his cake. He wants his cake, Bedelia. He wants that cake. That's right. He He's going to get that cake, motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, Nathan Grantham is a cake-having son of a bitch. He's going to eat that bitch, too. But every year, the whole family gets together and sits in this huge house, this big, richy fucking mansion, and is awful together in the rich people way that they're awful. And some awful dancing. 
Yeah, gossips and talks shit and dances awfully. Ed Harris embarrasses himself, but it's cool. You know, he wins Oscars and stuff. It's all right. <laughs> While they wait for Great Aunt Bedelia to show up and go to the family plot outside on the grounds and say, you know, her yearly words to her dad that she murdered and got away with. That's kind of the thing. Everyone knows that she killed him, but she got away with it. And this year, Nathan Grantham is really ready for his cake. So he crawls his fucking dead ass out the ground. <laughs> And uh, goes after his cake. And it's just, you know, that's that's the whole thing. It's the yeah. setup is this corpse comes back to life to get his Father's Day cake and murders his way to do so. It seems like the cake with the candles, or the head with the candles and everything, is one of the like more iconic, it's um, super iconic. images from the from the movie. I uh, think so. I mean, maybe not so much now, unfortunately. But I mean, well, no, now, but with a certain over 30. If you're over 30. Sure. <laughs> or a super fucking horror fan. For horror fans, definitely. That whole, because it's, it's an insane looking fucking image, right? Yeah. It's perfectly out of those comics. It's exactly how one of those comics would have ended. I know there's one that Stephen King talks about where there was a a revenge against a baseball team that murdered some guy, this other baseball player or something, and he comes back from the dead and he turns the baseball field. The baseball diamond is their body parts and like the baselines are like intestines and like (laughs) the head is like third base and you know what i mean shit like that that kind of thing and stephen king was like i have something like that how about a father's day cake (laughs) (laughs) and so you know that kind of stuff the way that he you really just that's something else i want to note about the movie that i really love is the the sense of love you really can tell that they are paying tribute to something that means a lot to them and that's always going to be that. That's not always going to necessarily result in a quality product. You know, the story still might suck. The movie might still yeah. not look good or be told well. But if the but heart nice is in the right place, if, yeah. If you know, if the heart really is in the right good. place, it's, yeah, it's always good to know. So from there, we go to the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill. All I have to say about the Stephen King episode is meteor shit. That's all I have to say about it. You can say yeah. what you think about it. I would please like to hear your thoughts about Father's Day. I'm sorry if I cut you off or move forward too quick. Oh, no, it's it's good. Yeah, Father's Day is probably my least favorite segment of the movie. It, it's fine, like a lot of the other, or like some of the other stories, like why this Father's Day? Why does he come back to life? I don't, I guess you don't need a reason. Like, because this is the one where the movie is happening. Do what? Because this is the one when the movie is happening. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much it. I just I didn't think it was that great. But um, the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill. I guess I didn't realize that it was as disliked as as you say. I think it's pretty good. You know, it's cool to see Stephen King doing uh, this goofball character. You know, it's pretty much just him the whole time. I think that's pretty much why it's it's so hated because he's really cartoony. Yeah. It's real caricature, and no one's ever going to be like, hey, he was robbed of an Oscar for that part. <laughs> so it just, I think people, it just rubs people the wrong way for a lot yeah. of reasons, mainly at which is his performance and that character. Both of them together is just too much. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was, I mean, it's maybe a little too long. I remembered it actually being a lot shorter. Uh, I was surprised. What is it like? It's over 10 minutes, I think. But, I don't think it hits 20 or anything like that. No, but mm. like for whatever reason, when I w- was rewatching it, I was like, oh, this one's pretty short, <laughs> but it went a little longer than I thought. But yeah, it, it's good. You know, it's it's funny. I think it's it's solid. Something to tide you over. This is the one that Evil I... Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, this is the one I remember seeing once upon a time. And I think I probably just was flipping through the channels and caught, oh, there's Leslie Nielsen. Is this the Naked Gun movie? And then I was like, oh, there's Ned Danson. And so I remember watching this segment and it's probably still my favorite one. 
and it's played less for laughs than it seems like any of the it's played the most serious i should say than any of the others it seems like and Leslie Nielsen is not being a goofball. Like, he's not Frank Drebin at all, or any of his other, you know, parody characters. But yeah, it's basically... Calculating killer. Yeah, yeah. It's basically, you know, Ted Danson, young, heartthrob era, I guess, Ted Danson, probably early in the Cheers run. Like, right before. Oh, so it's actually even before Cheers. Okay. So yeah, Leslie, Leslie Nielsen shows up at his house. Tells him, hey, I know you're banging my wife. Uh, if you don't do what I say, you're never going to find out what I did to her, basically. Kind of like The Vanishing, which would come years later. Yeah. And it results in Ted Danson getting buried up to his neck in the sand on the beach. And the sadistic fuck that Leslie Nielsen plays actually brings a big TV out there to make Ted Danson watch. Where a little further down the beach, he's got the woman buried up to her neck and and the tide's coming in on her and she's clearly about to drown. Ted Danson is fucking Leslie Nielsen's wife. Leslie Nielsen is really unhappy about it. (laughs) And because he is a psychopath and a cold calculating killer, this is how he's chosen to deal with it. And Mm -hmm. how he's chosen to get his, he sees it as his revenge on them. And like you said, it's uh, pretty sadistic and fucked up. Yeah. And he, he also like is talking to Ted Danson, you know, while he's buried there, Saying, you know, hey, you got to get a bit deep breath. Maybe you can make it. You, get, you can hold your breath long enough. Maybe you can make it, which comes into play later. <laughs> Once, for some reason, Danson and uh, his wife <laughs> comes back. Once they come back uh, as zombies for some reason, they cut to, to Nielsen himself buried in the sand on the beach up to his neck. And he's screaming out, I can hold my breath for a long time. Which, yeah. uh, you know, the whole sequence really shook me you know like the idea of drowning that way being helpless in the sand like that really was effective to me when i watched this originally and i think it still kind of is yeah it's horrible yes it's it's terrifying (laughs) Uh, yeah this this is uh this is probably my favorite of the segments i really like it i like seeing uh nielsen is uh playing it straight uh the only time i've seen it besides this is uh, probably the poseidon adventure which i think he has for a pretty small role in if i remember right but yeah, and, and you know, dancing's good in it, especially like when he's freaking out by the about the crab, you know, coming up by his face, uh, and he's he slowly has to realize that he's not getting out of it. You know, he's trying to talk him down, and then eventually he has to kind of resign himself to the fact that he's going to get left there. Pretty pretty solid uh, entry. I like this one a lot. Yeah, it's good. You know, and speaking of uh, Leslie Nielsen playing it straight, you should see the old 50s uh, sci-fi movie, Forbidden Planet. Mm. Uh, he's like the, the captain of the spaceship in that one, and he's cool. completely playing it straight. He's really good. Um, he's really young. I mean, like I said, it's like the 50s. Yeah. You know, young, clenched jaw, virile mm-hmm. Leslie Nielsen when he didn't have gray hair. So amazing shit. But yeah, this one's really good. I really love the the design, the waterlogged zombie look that Savini comes up with mm-hmm. for Danson. And uh, the lady playing Leslie Nielsen's wife, the one that Danson is having the affair with, is Galen Ross, who is the female lead of Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Hmm. Didn't recognize her. That's cool. Uh, well, I mean, she's barely in it. Uh, the mm-hmm. most she's on screen is her head being right. drenched in water and then her bluish green <laughs> waterlogged corpse covered in cool. seaweed shit you know which is really groovy looking the cool thing about that too is like nielsen has a pistol and yeah. uh, he shoots the the zombies and like you know just you know water just pours out it's, <laughs> from the, but it's like, like brackish sea green it's like brackish sea water yeah you no know, it's it's 
dark green. I, that's what I'm saying. I remember that image. I remember that image as a kid. Him getting shot in the head, his head snapping back, and mm-hmm. the bullet hole appearing. And this flood of watery... I mean, it's darker, it, but it's not blood. Yeah. It's gross looking, is what it is. <laughs> and it's really, really effective. And, man, there's just there's a lot of imagery in that whole sequence of their feet going up the stairs. There's smoke in the house for whatever reason, because it looks cool, whatever. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like there's a bit of uh, John Carpenter's The Fog in that, where doesn't there, like, come mist or fog or something? It seems like it. Um, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since I watched it at this point. So. I've seen it a million, trillion fucking times in my <laughs> brain right now. It's telling me that. See, that's the thing, dear listeners. Don't record when you're as tired as Chris and I are right now. We're both very out of it. But we're still determined to bring you <laughs> quality entertainment. So here we are. Just a good conversation and bullshit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that one, yeah, is really good and is always, always stuck with me. Like I said, that was the one more than even the cockroaches or Fluffy from the crate. It's those waterlogged zombies that I remember having to pull my head back around, back behind the couch away from. I had to get away from them because it was horrifying. That may have been when I noped out. I have no idea. Maybe that's (laughs) why I don't remember being terrified by Fluffy or cockroaches because those hadn't happened yet. Right. Pop those later. (laughs) Those are the next two, which let's get to that. The next one is my favorite, but because it's my, yeah, the crate, because it's my favorite, you should tell us about it. So yeah, this is an interesting one. It's and this is the longest one I think. It seems it's like anyway. probably close to a half an hour. I think. So yeah, essentially, Hal Holbrook has got an alcoholic, abusive wife uh, played, played by, by the great Adrian Barbeau. Yes, uh, I have seen play unpleasant characters, but I've never seen her do anything revved up like this. Maybe there's yeah, something the that's a big blind spot for me that she's very similar to this, but I haven't seen her do nothing like it. And wow. Yeah, I remember, you know, I remember watching this before and my memory of it was like that she was obnoxious and maybe too, maybe playing it up too much. But I, I found myself enjoying her performance more this time, more than I remembered. But yeah, her her, um, her husband is a professor at this college. He clearly hates her. He has these fantasies about killing her in mm-hmm. front of everyone and everybody celebrating that he's, he's murdered her because everyone hates her so much. Meanwhile, there's this crate that shows up at the college and al holbrook is a professor at this college his and another professor, professor buddy yeah finds it and a janitor opens it and the janitor is killed by whatever inside right he's immediately torn apart by <laughs> this thing inside the crate al holbrook uh and the, oh no 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 the, the friend tells holbrook his about buddy, his, no, no, his buddy Dexter. That's There's Hal Holbrook and then there's Dexter. Dexter is the professor buddy who sees the janitor get eaten by the thing in the crate. Mm-hmm. He runs f- blindly through the, <laughs> the hallways of the college trying to find somebody, runs into some random college kids. Uh, what's the deal? The, the college is basically empty because it's a certain time of year or Probably. something. It's, or it's, it's a yeah, but he ran. He runs into some random college student that he knows, and the kid wants to come see whatever the fuck he is. He's he's babbling about. The kid immediately gets eaten in like a really really terribly horrible graphic way, much more yeah. worse than the janitor, and the, much more worse than the janitor. Wow, we're really on top of our game. Um, <laughs> and the professor yeah. doesn't think the cops will believe him too, right? So he's not sure what to do. No, he's so he, that's when he goes to his buddy Hal Holbrook, and Hal Holbrook is like, wow a fucking big monster problem in a crate 
at the school. Sounds like, like, like hey, maybe we can help each other. Problem. Yeah, because Hal Holbrook has a monster problem, too. <laughs> and like you said, he's thinking maybe one problem could be used to take care of the other. And so that's the whole rest of that. But mention, you, were, you were mentioning Adrian Barbeau, mm-hmm. wondering if she was over the top or this or that. And it's really interesting because you can tell she is kind of having fun with the character, relishing getting to be so awful. But I have seen women like that. And the, funny, <laughs> and the funny thing is, and you know, it's it sounds like I'm going to be like, you know, and they treat their husbands so bad and it's, you know, just awful <laughs> women. It's all about terrible women. That's not what I'm going to say. The, the women I'm talking about, they are awful because it is awful behavior. But the interesting thing is the women I have seen in real life who behave the way Wilma does, Billy, sorry, I got to call her Billy, the way Billy does in this movie, that's how they treat their children. Yeah, I was gonna, that's what I was going to say, too. Like, the examples I've seen of it in, in real life, it's usually like... That's how they treat their children. Yeah. But that's amazing because it does ring true because you realize that is what she's doing. And she even says that to him in the fucking movie. You're a child, Henry. Aren't mm-hmm. you a... You're a goddamn child. And that's the whole deal. And it's like, oh, fuck, this is sick and twisted. <laughs> There's pathology here, and I, I don't want any of it. <laughs> so, yeah, so he decides he's going to have the monster kill his uh, shrew of a wife. And if it makes me a bad person, it makes me a bad person. <laughs> I'm not mad at him for it. I'm not saying he did the right thing. But you can see where he's coming from. I understand. <laughs> I'm not saying he made the right decision. Mm-hmm. But I understand. I'm for sure not saying I would make the same decision. <laughs> but I cannot say for sure that I would not because I am not in that position. Sure. I have not been treated like that for years by someone who made me want to die (laughs) or or just broke me to the point where i'm having murder fantasies about them randomly that's not healthy that's not you know what i mean that's not good especially for a relationship i mean y'all are past therapy i mean can you imagine explaining that to a therapist (laughs) yeah i sometimes you know see myself blowing her brains out at you know faculty mixers and shit oh that's okay. when the therapist pulls a uh, Henry Zerny from mm. Scream 6. I'm not prepared to deal with you, I'm afraid. Exactly. Well, I mean, everyone thinks you can talk to a therapist about anything, but there's a certain <laughs> point where they, they do have to get the cops involved. I know yeah. that. Yeah. Anyway, this is not about Henry and Wilma's uh, couples therapy. This is what about do you think about um, What do you think about Fluffy, uh, the design of the of the creature? Kind of an it's ape. A kind of a what? Kind of an ape. It's looking. clearly kind of ape-ish. But I ain't never seen a monkey with him kind of. Yeah, t- yeah, he's not. He's not a monkey, but he's kind of monkey-ish. Yeah, kind it's of, a uh, wild right. look because it almost looks comical in uh, some respects. Like, is it real? It, 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 it's exaggerated. Mm-hmm. It looks like a kid drew it. You know what I mean? And I do. I yeah. don't mean that in a bad way. It just—it's very exaggerated. And and because of that extreme nature, it's super cool. It's super fucking cool. And he's ruthless. He's mm-hmm. ruthless. Fucking taking chunks out of that dude, the 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 student kid Charlie's neck, clawing off his face and shit, eyeball coming. It's fucking rad. Yeah, that was one of the first big gore moments for me too. Whenever I ended up seeing that on VHS or Mm -hmm. whatever. Oh my god! Uh, It I was afraid I was going to puke for a second, and then I realized I wasn't, and that was thrilling. (laughs) It's all just thrilling. Yeah, love that shit. So that's the crate. I mean, is it? It is the longest. Mm-hmm. How do you think it holds up. Do you think that makes it weaker? No, I think you know. Again, I, this is the one that really stood out to me 
that I remembered not liking as much the first time I watched it. But I enjoyed it a lot more this time for whatever reason. I do think maybe it is a little, just slightly too long, but I think it's it's a pretty strong entry. It's probably, besides the um, something to tide you over, it's probably the best segment in the movie. I It's, it's my favorite, because we'll yeah. talk about it more <laughs> <laughs> later on. But um, I understand it being too long, because it, it's just longer than a lot of anthology stories are especially if it's more than like three stories yeah if it's one of your anthology things where it's three everything's about 30 minutes long mm-hmm. or thereabouts this one has five stories in it but it's also a straight two-hour movie a yeah, lot of it's longer than movies, yeah 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 but most <clears throat> of the ones we're going to talk about are a lot shorter than this one yes indeed but again it does have all five stories mm-hmm. and that's totally cool that totally works for me. But as far as this specific story goes, I think if you're going to cut it down from the roughly 30 minutes that it is, the longest of any of them, if you're going to get it down, I think you'd have to do one of, if not both, of two things. One is you'd have to get rid of at least one of the fantasy murders. Can't do that. <laughs> or you'd have to get rid of either the janitor murder or Charlie's murder. Yeah. You'd have to do one of those two things or both if you're going to really trim it because everything else pretty much has to be there for it to work and one i really don't think you can get rid of the fantasy murders that's why i'm saying you have to have at least one so you understand what his headspace is in terms of how he sees her or how he's dealing with his treatment by her this is how he gets through the day is by imagining her death. That's how yeah. he, he copes. <laughs> Big cope energy from Henry there. So yeah, I mean, I don't really know how you do cut it. I think it it, yeah. it does kind of suck if you're like, fuck, they have to be longer. I mean, have to be shorter than three, <laughs> or it should be, or God, it would work so much better. It's like, yeah, well, where do you, what do you cut? That's the only thing I can point to, and I don't know that it works as well without them. What do you think, Chris? No, I, yeah, I think, I mean, I just think, you know, without going in, I'm not sure what I would, cut <laughs> you know it, it works fine as is i just you know maybe it could be a little shorter but no no no. i, agree I don't think it yeah, i don't it think it hurts 30 minutes dude. it is 30 minutes yeah. and you can say that it's repetitive in the sense that maybe combine the murders of the janitor and the student into one scene yeah because that, that should probably be the easiest way to you could knock, yeah you could knock out at least five minutes by doing that and that might be the best you get <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could push it to seven if you, you know, because I'm sorry, I'm getting into the whole writing thing and everything. My brain works that way where I like to, because yes, folks, I like to pretend, I like to, to, to play at writing. Don't write the movie, AJ. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like it. I think it works. It is longer. It does definitely feel longer than the other ones because of it or just because it That's feels- the only thing I think that I, that, that's the one thing that's distracting about the longer segments in these movies if. It, it was when it's really noticeable because you're you get into a pattern where you're expecting 15 minutes, 18 minutes, something, and then all of a sudden you've got a 28 minute, 31 minute, whatever segment. It's noticeable, but and because of that, it can feel like it's dragging out. Yeah, your body is used to a certain pacing in its way. I completely get it. I really do. It's just it's my favorite one. So, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to lie. I can't pretend to be objective about it. It's my favorite <laughs> one. So I hear you're uh, you're not complaining. I can't say I hear your complaints. I, I hear your concerns or your you know your quibbles, your your issue with it, whatever you want to call it. I hear it and I recognize it. I understand it. It's just for me. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But isn't it so cool though? <laughs> but isn't it awesome? Doesn't it just kick ass all the same? Isn't it just the best story in the movie? It's just it's it just works for me. 
It's so cool. God, I love that thing. And it's just <laughs> such a groovy idea. Such a weird and random thing. Oh, hey, I was cleaning the fucking, you know, school like I do. Yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, I came across this weird little section that I never noticed before under the stairs. And, and you know, there, I, I make jokes about, like, why are these zombies coming back to life in, in some of these other segments? But, like, it's also cool that they, they don't care to explain where the crate came from or what this creature is or anything like it's just a thing in the story <laughs> it looks like it came from the antarctic from the writing yeah but like how the, did it get there mm, yeah and, and what the fuck is that long? what was that thing doing in the antarctic how has it survived you know in this part of the college that nobody's seen for whatever yeah so it's it's wild it's <laughs> a really cool idea and just the way it, it works out it's just my kind of horror story it's why I love Stephen King. It's part. Of, it's part of why I love Stephen King. It's part of what why I love that kind of horror. It's what I love about Stephen King. It's what I love about horror. Uh, it's a weird. It's a very normal, mundane, and to even some people relatable story. You know, some people are in a relationship where they wish their partner was dead. I feel bad for those fucking people. I am very lucky. I do not have that feeling. <laughs> But there are people that can relate to that. And then what do you do with that, says Stephen King? Stephen King says, I'm going to take a totally ordinary situation, very mundane, and I'm going to throw a fucking monster that'll eat your face Mm -hmm. to it. And there you go. I love those kind of horror stories. This one's a really good one. That's why it's my favorite. That's why it's my favorite, Chris. All right. Well, not your favorite is they're creeping up on you. No. I don't have much to say about this one. I don't. I mean, it's okay. It, this one could have probably been like six minutes. Um, it's a lot of people's favorite, though, because it has such a great payoff. Yeah. I'm just telling you. It is yeah. very simplistic, and there is almost nothing to it. It's mm-hmm. a one-man show, really, where this guy is a horrible guy. You watch him, and you go, wow, I bet everybody hates him. And then you realize from you know context clues and the couple of people he talks to, you go, yeah, he's just this miserable, hated, hateful old fucker. And he's and he's got a cleanliness, germophobic nature. Yeah, Howard. Yeah, Jesus. this rich old guy who's ruining lives up in his tower, and he's got an obsession with the cockroaches up there because they're creeping up on you. And at the end, the cockroaches get him. That's pretty much it. And mm-hmm. it's got a big gross-out moment at the end. It's really memorable. It's what yes. a lot of us as kids talked about in the schoolyards, at the cafeteria at lunchtime. On the school bus, when we were bullshitting about Friday the 13th Part 2, Jason's mm-hmm. head on uh, Jason's mother's head on that thing, and we were bullshitting about all the scary movies we had and hadn't seen. We had seen this one. We had seen the fucking roaches come out of this motherfucker. <laughs> and yeah, it's not my favorite, but I do love that image. It's it's a ballsy image, and it is, again, very, very hugely representative to me, at least in my head, of what EC Comics is, because it's this guy they like to showcase a person who's horrible. You see exactly why they deserve what's going to happen to them in the last moment. Mm. And then it's the last moment. They get what they're, what's coming to them, and that's it. And this one is that ultimate gross-out comeuppance. That's how they put the button on this one. Well, no, no, no. The button on this one is the wraparound, but I'll let you talk about that. But yeah, I mean, that's what this one is. It's just the EC story. And yeah, I get it might be a bit simplistic in that way for you know some people. Like my friend Chris. People, My friend Chris, guys. <laughs> He's my yeah, boy. I mean, it's fine. I don't. <laughs> and, and hey, guys, I still love him. I love him all the same. He's still great. He's great, guys. He's awesome. But this one is, it, at least in people my generation that I remember, this is the one that sticks out. So it might not be the favorite in the way that the crate is. Mm-hmm. I think the crate is pretty much the most beloved. But I think this one is the most remembered because of the cockroaches. 
Some people may not even remember any of the stories except for that. You might go, yeah. you ever seen Creep Show? Oh, that's the one with all the story, the cockroaches, right? <laughs> You're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah it made all the more uh, memorable because of like everything in the stark white, and then there's it's beautiful thousands of cockroaches crawling around everywhere. Yeah. This very this very high tech for the time Stark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's beautiful looking, and this excellent dumbing Tom Savini was nuts, <laughs> and a few thousand actual cockroaches, real live cockroaches, no CGI swarm here. They put up buckload of cockroaches in this thing they pumped them in there with like hoses and shit or something and then they just let them rip their way out of this guy and it's disgusting and i love it and then from there we go into the uh wraparound yeah the the, uh, the, the epilogue sort of the, uh, the the last look we get at joe hill and tom atkins That's um right. and where uh, i guess we see where d- does joe hill get named his character billy Billy, well, yeah, he's he's ordered a, a voodoo doll from uh, from one of these comics, and he's using it on his dad, and uh, seemingly kills his father with it uh, as the as the or is is in the process of killing him as we uh, roll credits. I like seeing Tom Atkins in anything, so it's cool. Um, he's uh, quite the uh, asshole '80s dad <laughs> in this. Um, yes, he is. So yeah, uh, solid. I don't really have much else to say about it. It's cool. I like the the uh, wraparounds. And again, the movie, better than I remembered it. I'm glad I got to watch it again for this. Rock on. Rock on. So Body Bags is a 1993 American horror comedy anthology television film. So this one could have just been a small screeners episode. So could the next one we're going to be talking about, I guess. Oh, uh, uh, that's right. But uh, this one, I think it aired on Showtime initially. Yeah. And I believe they were kind of looking for their own Tales from the Crypt. Uh, type show yeah and then i guess maybe they decided at the last minute not to do that and just make it make these segments into a, a full-length movie i think uh, it was already filming and they were like you know what we're not going to do the show but then it's it's going so we'll just release just it when it's done it as a movie yeah which is fine i mean i i would have really been interested to see what the show would have been especially if carpenter had been heavily involved yeah but the movie we got is fun yeah and the um you know you can kind of like the only Really, the uh, the middle segment, which is more comedy, is the one that really feels like a Tales from the Crypt episode to me, yeah. or segment. But um, it's a lot weirder, yeah, than the rest yeah, of the it. First in terms one is of pretty played pretty straight. The first one is the slasher, yeah, and the third one mostly is is played pretty straight as well. And for a long time, I thought that Carpenter directed the first and third segments, but it's actually the first and second. And then Toby Hooper does the uh, the third one, which. I was misremembering for some reason for a long time until I was looking into this again. Yeah, the first, I guess we can start with the main man, John Carpenter, doing some acting. I think the only acting he's done is this and The Fog, maybe. I'm not sure if he's had any other cameos that I can remember. He's been like the voice on the phone in a couple of things, you know. Um, Yeah, this is really it in terms of a character character. Yeah. Uh, and it's just the wraparound guy. He's the crypt keeper of it. It's the coroner. Because it's and all set in a, in, in a mortuary, a morgue, not a mortuary, a morgue down in the basement. And he's the guy introducing these cadavers in body bags. And they all have a story. And those are our little episodes. And he's fun. How, how do you how do you think he pulls it off as his little undead horror host? Yeah, I think he's uh, really great. Like, he has some uh, kind of ghoul makeup on. Yeah. You don't really know that he's dead, I guess, until the end. Well, maybe I mean, of- he, he pretty clearly looks fucking dead, but he's it doesn't make anything about it from the from the moment he's yeah. introduced. He's animated and talking. So you just assume, wow, 
this dude's been through it. Yeah. He does drink formaldehyde at one point. He does. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he looks pretty awesome, and he is really hamming it up. He's playing oh, uh, a real goofball-type horror host. Uh, I like the way he does it a lot, and I think he was planning to do it as part of the show if they actually, if, it, if the show had gone to series. I think he was planning on being the host of the show, but we only get this one appearance of, of him as, as the coroner. But yeah, I like him a lot. The first segment, the gas station, which is the shortest one. It's only about like maybe 17 minutes long, something like that. That and sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's essentially just a young woman, a college student, has her first night at one of these like gas stations where you're kind of just in like a little booth. Uh, which I don't, we don't have many of those around here every once in a while. I'll see them. I don't know if they're more prevalent in other parts of the country or not. And maybe it was more. They're pretty prevalent in California. That was not out of the ordinary for me at all to see it. I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. Normally when I do see them, it's when I'm in a bigger city more than like around here. But yeah. She's, she's there uh, on her first night, which is, it's kind of weird. I've never had a job where I just show up and the guy's like, Hey, welcome. There's no training involved. I'm just going to tell you what to do. <laughs> and uh, I'll count the register when I get back in the morning. So, well, you're pretty uh, lucky then dude, because that kind of shit happens all the time. <laughs> they just, you get thrown into the deep end motherfucker. Yeah. And if you sink, you sink, <laughs> hope to swim. Hope you can try your ass off. At least dog paddle bitch and you know in this situation it is this young college student alex datcher i want to say her name is she's the the stewardess on passenger 57 with who played opposite wesley snipes yeah very spunky and and really cool little ass kicker uh I kind of figured she'd do more after these two things, but didn't really see a lot more from her that I can remember. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but like you said, it's this little setup. She's working at the gas station, and from there it just becomes, hey, someone's trying to kill me. Yeah, there's it's, it's, it's a, a yeah, there's a TV report of a, a serial killer who was broken out of a mental hospital of one of the just it's the classic setup. Do you remember that that it's Haddonfield? Yeah, I did hear that too. Yeah, they they mentioned that Haddonfield, Illinois, is uh, where they're at, or at least they're near there. Well, it's the Haddonfield Asylum or something, I think. Oh, okay, that's where the you middle know, hospital. It, it's over the radio that you realize you're in in Haddonfield, and it's like, oh, that's cool. And then, I mean, there's no real need to, I mean, unless we want to, you know, go over. We're going to want to talk about there's a the whole thing really is cast really well. Yeah, all the way through the, the last episode, you're going to be like, oh, and Mark Hamill, and then Twiggy, because why <laughs> the fuck not? But throughout, you're going to get little cameos and shit. And in the first one, I mean, it's front loaded, really. Because you get Robert Carradine, you know, I don't know who he's best known for, but Revenge of the Nerds, I guess. Or, yeah, that's what I normally think of when I see him. He also did work with uh, Carpenter later on in Ghosts of Mars. He was one of the, the mm-hmm. he, he, like a train conductor or the, the assistant conductor or whatever behind Peter Jason. But yeah, him and Wes Craven shows up and Sam Raimi is there. David Naughton from American Werewolf in London and fucking, the, again, the great Peter Jason is yeah. also there. And the... The wino guy, George Buckflower, doing what he has a patent on. And all these guys pop in and out. But really, it's just there's a killer trying to to kill this young girl at the gas station. And it's like a slasher movie compacted, like compressed. It's all the highlights in, like you said, about 17 minutes. To be honest, I did consider it. We, we were... You asked me to come up with a list of my five favorite episodes or stories from an anthology movie, a horror movie. Mm -hmm. And I did consider putting this on there because it's just such a direct, no bullshit, uncut slasher story beginning to end. Like, oh, here's the setup. Oh, and now she's being chased to be slashed. Mm -hmm. Oh, will she get, you know, will she be a final girl? 
and then it's over. And there's some cool kills. There's some cool corpses that pop up. Yeah. Some cool blood and gore. A nice blood spraying effect that I don't want to give away, <laughs> but it's really effective. And for gorehounds, you go, that's the wet stuff we like. <laughs> it's it's just really like I said. It's it's kind of like this. It's like a diamond. Do you like just he compressed the slasher into this 17 minute thing, and it just. He wound it up and then let it go, and then it's over, and it's this perfect little thing. To me, I think it's really well done. Yeah, I agree. I think it's probably my favorite of the segments, at least in this anthology. And again, the compact nature is really helpful. Like, it just moves right along. And we get, like, really good... Those cameos, like Wes Craven shows up as, like, a creepy guy, kind of hits <laughs> He's totally dr- drunk. And, like, I don't know that I've seen Craven in anything outside of New Nightmare, yeah, uh, playing himself. He's really good as like just a creepy guy who shows up for thirty seconds or a minute he's, or whatever. It is. He seems like there's something off with him. You begin to wonder, you know, is he going to pop up as the killer in the last yeah. frame? You know, he's really good. Yeah. One thing I do want to bring up about the story that some people I know have a problem with. Part of the whole plot hinges on her getting locked out of her little thing because she is stupid and locks herself out. Right. And that bothers people sometimes i mean i've even seen people talk about it on twitter i kind of checked out when she left her keys on and it's like i get it i do but most people reading that most people watching the movie most people hearing us talk about this a lot of people would like to believe you know i'm smart i wouldn't do anything like that (laughs) i think we like to think of ourselves as smart people as opposed to stupid people right like i'm not stupid well all of us self-thought smart people let's just be real for a moment have you ever done anything just completely dumbass, drop your jaw, stupid like that? Lock your keys where you absolutely should not. It's the dumbest thing you could do, and you did it. Have you done anything like that? I think most of us would agree, okay, yeah, I've done that. And, okay, if I'm being honest, it wasn't just once, okay? <laughs> it may have happened to me multiple times over my life. So that's kind of the thing. People do stupid shit like that. And I know it's in this one, I don't know why this one feels particularly egregious because it just seems like such a blatantly stupid thing to do, I guess, the way it is. It's just right there on the counter. I mean, plus like, if you're not going to, if you're that unforgiving, why are you watching horror movies? Because 90% of them like depend on people doing stupid shit. (laughs) With horror movies, especially. Yeah. Yeah. You have if people don't do stupid things. The plot does not move forward. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you have a problem with that, then my friend, you have a problem with horror movies. And maybe you need to sit down and speak with your therapist about this because we cannot help you here. We love horror movies and we're going to fucking push them on you. Point in fact, I don't think it's that bad. I just think it's one of those things. It's it's you know it's only the wind. Okay, so what? <laughs> you know, so she went outside again. It's only seventeen minutes. Did you fuckers want this thing to be three and a half minutes long? Because <laughs> it would be if she did the smart thing. There would be no movie. Like Chris said, you have to do the stupid thing. But I think that the way it's all set up and the way it all goes and the way that every once in a while it does bring in somebody else in a way that doesn't feel like a cheat, like they're there to either be the killer or to save her. You don't know if they're either, but it also doesn't just keep it static and it's her by herself being, you know, taunted or anything. And that could have worked well, too. But I'm just saying they kept the flow interesting in that it, it every once in a while something new was introduced or, you know, oh, and now here's David Naughton. He seems like a nice guy. Is he a nice guy? Is he really a nice guy? Oh, fuck. Is he trying to get? Oh, no, it's not here. Okay. Oh, wait, is it? You know, it's all that kind of thing. And then Buck Flower shows up, and you're like, oh, okay, this can't be the killer. <laughs> because it's Buck Flower. 
Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just going through all the people, and we promised we were going to do this one quick. I will shut up and just say I really, really, really love this one, and I would hope if you haven't seen Body Bags, you would you would sit down and give it a shot. You know, that's kind of the whole point of this list. Check these out if you haven't. And this one, I think, if you like slashers, you're gonna have a good time. Yeah, shout out to Sam Raimi playing a corpse. Also, <laughs> he's uh, it's always nice to see him show up. Doesn't do much, obviously, but um, and uh, had to do a favor for his friend John. You mentioned uh, earlier the uh, the character actor, and I can't remember his name, but the guy who stops with his wife or girlfriend or whatever. Um, oh, uh, what's use the bathroom? Peter Jason. Yeah, Peter Jason. He's I mean, he's always great, but he, he's especially uh, charming in this one. As I mean, I don't even know. I guess um, probably a rich uh, businessman asshole that's on his way to Vegas. Yeah, that's the vibe you get. You know, yeah. kind of like the vibe you got from him in in the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, but like really jovial and like having a good time. Yeah, I like him in this mm-hmm. one a lot. Um, yeah, like you said, he's always great. I think he started showing up in Carpenter movies in Prince of Darkness. Yeah, I think, I think so. that's the first one he was in, and he shows up in most of them since then. He's in, yeah. If it's a carpenter joint, Peter Jason is almost always there. Yeah, and he's on the commentary track with Carpenter for one of his movies. I can't remember which one. It may be Prince of Darkness. I can't remember. I think it is, actually, which is random as hell. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's cool. He's a cool guy. Yeah, the Carpenter con- commentary tracks are always better when he's got, like, a buddy there to, like, Otherwise, he just kind of describes the movie. <laughs> if it's just him, or like if it's him and a cinematographer or something. But but whenever especially it's like him with and Kurt, I yeah, don't know, Russell's always the best. <laughs> yeah, the one with Natasha Henstridge on Ghost of Mars is a lot of fun. He's really engaged, and so is she. It's very close to the spirit of a Russell track with with him because they're very again like jovial, like you were. Yeah. Uh, describing his character uh, jason's character i have heard carpenter's track with gary b kibbe for i want to say either no no no, not vampires ghosts uh not uh it was for in the mouth of madness and i yeah. shut the fucking thing off <laughs> yeah it was listened to yeah. that one. i think the vampires one is one where he is by himself and it is very dry like you said he basically he will give the effort the bare minimum effort required yeah. to and, and he'll do a commentary for any movie i think it's it's part of his you know, his capitalism shtick. Like, I'll take your money. If you will, yeah. if you will pay me, I will do it. And, and then so. whatever that pay is like, you know, 5,000 bucks, whatever, I don't know, but like yeah. whatever they pay him, he will give them exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Not a cent more. You know, he gives you a commentary track for that amount of money. If someone shows up with him and keeps him engaged, it's a whole different ballgame. But someone like Gary B. Kibbe is very dry and technical, too. So they just sit there and, like, outbore you. It's like Colin Robinson from What We Do in the Shadows. Do you watch that show? No. Well, they're called an energy vampire, and that's kind of oh, what yeah. these tracks are. I've heard that um, talked about, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 not great. I, I wonder – I don't think he's done one with Dean Cundy. I would hope Dean Cundy would be a little bit more exciting. But I Dean Cundy also seems like a low-key guy, so he might also bring it. Yeah, I think Bundy has his own track on, like, The Thing, maybe, or Halloween, but I don't think it's him and Carpenter together. But. Halloween sounds right for the new remaster that he uh, he supervised, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, moving on from this one, because you, you dig it, too. Yeah. We are definitely fucking giving it thumbs up and recommending and, it. You know, this one also, one, one last thing, this one is... Firmly entrenched in the 90s because we see a mm-hmm. TV guide with Barney on the on the cover at one point inside. I do um, not remember that, but that is awesome. Uh, yeah, the next one up, Hair, also directed by Carpenter. This one's weird, folks. Yeah, I don't see – I'm looking for the – so written by Billy Brown and Dan Angel. and that, They wrote all assume, of them. Yeah, I was going to say, I assume that's for all of uh, the segments. Yeah, they just wrote it all. And this one with the great – almost Stacey. Booth. 
<laughs> yeah. Stacy motherfucking Keach, y'all. I, I uh, think Stacy Keach is a legend. Yeah, he's great. And uh, I, he's I basically agree. a middle-aged guy who's losing his hair. It's thinning out really badly. And he is Freaking obsessed with it. out. Yeah, he's he losing can't handle his it. mind over it. He's, I mean, that happens. Yeah. He's one of those dudes. He's losing his hair, and he's having a remarkably intense midlife crisis uh, over it. And he's got a, a young, attractive girlfriend. I believe they're just dating, and I don't think they're um, married. No, they're just dating. But it's still Sheena Easton, Chris. Sheena Easton, <laughs> pop yeah. Scottish siren. Sheena Easton, my baby takes the morning train. Fucking for your eyes only, Chris. <laughs> Sheena Easton. Okay. Now, for someone my age, I mean, I, I had a little bit of a crush on her when I was young. I can't believe it. She was a hot thing. And then she shows up in this, and I'm like older, and I'm like, But oh she God. didn't do a lot of acting, did she? No, no, she really didn't. She didn't. Like before this, like the last thing I remember even thinking about her when she didn't pop up on the radio or whatever was uh, was that You Got the Look. I think the song she did with Prince, You Got the Look. Yeah. It was as a hit, but she's she's you know fine. Her and Twiggy both in the next episode, they are fine. Yeah, they're likable. They're not. They don't embarrass awful. themselves. <laughs> no, they do not embarrass themselves at all. They don't do anything that make you go, "Wow, I wonder why I didn't see them in more stuff." You know, I'm not. I'm not I don't mean that to be mean, but there's know, nothing yeah, that I makes them pop in like a way that you go, "Wow, that's a fucking star right there." You just go, "Oh, that was nice." And Sheena Easton, that was cool to see her. Sheena Easton. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Gina Easton. Well, you know, that's about the reaction you have. And I think that's the best they could have voted for. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. It's and, different um, with fucking Deborah Harry, though. I yeah, want to point that, that out. Let's that was get to the, that. And Deborah Harry's been in some other acting stuff. Right? I know she was in an episode of uh, Pete and Pete, the Nickelodeon show I bring up too often. <laughs> it's okay, but I, I don't know that. To be honest, I don't know that she was in that. Uh, I what I know her from of, is Videodrome and Tales from the Dark Side of the Movie. That's really you see what the, um, the woman who's going to cook the boy in yep. Tales from the Dark Side? Okay. Yep, she's the witch in the wraparound, looking yeah, lovely she, as she ever. She plays a, a nurse in this one, uh, uh, the, the nurse of... Um, the great David Warner, the late great David Warner, who is a doctor who has a procedure to uh, help Corbet or Corbett's. I don't know how to pronounce it. I just, just called him. I just called him Richard because yeah, let's just say Richard. She was always. Oh, <laughs> Stacy Keach is fine too. Yeah, <laughs> Stacy the motherfucking man Keach will also be acceptable on this podcast. But yeah, David Warner looks like you know a creepy doctor, but one that you would think would be good at doctoring. Mm-hmm. Debbie Harry looks like untrustworthy. Yeah, like like. Not necessarily in a bad way. Like, you know, there's something about her because she's Debbie Harry. But she also looks like, I don't know, man, where did you get this chick? (laughs) She just looks like she's almost too happy to be there, but also like she doesn't know what she's doing. But like, I'm just happy to be here, man. She's also very handsy with uh, with Stacey Keach once he gets into his new hair. That's what I'm saying. It makes you wonder where he got her. (laughs) There's a vibe to her. And it all, you know, comes around. You're like, oh. But, yeah. So anyway, yeah, he goes to this special treatment that he season ad for or whatever and they give him not just hair but like what do they call it the samson <laughs> yeah like I think the so. lion or some shit like they give him samson hair like fabio like type hair romance novel cover hair it is pretty glorious and you know I do he like the the computer simulation of like this is what you'll look like with all these different hairstyles and some of them are pretty uh outrageous I really wish that just because they would have thrown in his hairstyle from class of 1999. I was, yeah, I was going to bring that up. Wouldn't that have been cool? Like Mm -hmm. for people like you and me, like we would have loved that. (laughs) We we would be talking about it right now. Like with such glee and awe. And dude, that part. They didn't even do it. And we're talking about it. That's what I'm saying. Like, but, but, (laughs) 
we would be like just laughing and virtually high fiving through the internet. It would be great. It would be like a beer commercial from the nineties. It would be awesome. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, he ends up with the Samson hair and yes. uh Boy, Shane Easton is thrilled. Easton is thrilled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think she's as thrilled as he is. Yeah, the the way Keats plays it once his <laughs> uh, his confidence is just brimming, like with it when he gets that new hair. But when he uh, sees it spilling out of the you know the bandages, he starts cackling like he lost his mind. <laughs> like he start like his eyes seem to well up. He's he's laughing so hard. It's amazing. But yes, he's having a great time, and it's given him the confidence. But there's a bit of a catch, and it starts to turn on him almost immediately which is yeah. kind of shitty you know, he, doesn't even next, he has one day of happiness <laughs> and the next day he wakes up with a little bit of a tickle in his throat and yeah. and he's starting to look a little werewolf starting like a teen wolfy mm-hmm. Michael yeah, J. the Paul. hair is continuing to come out and it just goes and goes and then there's a, a nice little kind of like a twilight zone stinger where it's like oh this is the deal the whole time okay and it's kind of Fun and funny. It's nothing particularly special. Yeah. And like some of the, like they, they've got early CGI on a TV budget. <laughs> it doesn't look great. But like this, the, the segment is like so unserious that it doesn't yeah. really matter. It is it's, not it a real breaker in any way. It fits yeah. right in that it looks kind of cartoony. And when I said that, you know, the whole thing is nothing very special, I didn't mean that as shitty as it probably sounded. What I mean is just, it just does feel very much like a Twilight Zone Outer Limits kind of thing. And that's the problem with anthologies or things of that nature because we're all drawing off of everything that's been done, right? And just like The Simpsons did it, when it comes to horror and sci-fi, fucking Twilight Zone did it, bud. They are so influential and the tendrils from the stalks they planted just go down through so much that it's hard to not kind of go, oh, that's a little familiar. But it is fun enough and there's, again, it's got... Stacy Keach and David Warner in this shit, and just to do it, Debbie Debbie fucking Harry's there just because when they can put her there, just yes. because. So that automatically puts it up above most stuff that kind of might feel a little familiar or is not overtly inspired. You're just kind of like, oh, okay, I get it, that's cool, and then you just kind of move on. This one is probably the most, I don't want to say forgettable. I would say it's the least of the three, and that's not to damn it. <laughs> it's really not. It's really not to put it down. I I think all of them are strong. Uh, they're just stronger or strong in different ways. Uh, the first one, the first one, there's nothing particularly special about that either. In a lot of ways, it's how he does it. You know what I mean? The story is no great shakes. It's just oh, a chick at the gas station, someone trying to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking blow me away. You know, sure. but it's it's how it's all done. This one is done cool. Now the yeah, next I think one, I, I, think oh, I do prefer this one to the last one, mostly because oh. I just really like the uh, comedic stuff in this one. Um, you like that it's so weird. Yeah, that it's weird and goofy a little bit. Yes, yeah. and it is. It is a nice little shift in the change of pace. They're all kind of different. The third one is not horrific in the way the first one is horrific. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The third one has a bit of the weirdness of this one too. But I I chalk that up to being Toby Hooper. Yeah, yeah. We can. If you don't have anything else, we can move on to the last segment. Oh no! All I was going to do was just reference the the weirdness of Toby Hooper. That was really <laughs> all I was going to do. I'm not necessarily done with this yet. What do you think about the way it does kind of turn on him so quickly, mm-hmm. and then everything for Keach 
changes. Do you like that the story goes that way? Like that it gets really dark on him? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, he has to, the way he's playing the character has to change completely because of what it takes from him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it just seems kind of par for the course for this type of, like you said, a Twilight Zone type thing. Yeah, because you, you have him on top of the world for just that brief moment. It's so <laughs> shitty that he's taken away so brutally. But yeah, yeah. like you said, it is that par for the course. They kind of have to do it, don't they? <laughs> mm-hmm. So you like this one better than the third one, which is cool. I think so. I mean, I think they're all they're kind of they're close, but yeah, I, I think I kind of prefer this. One. Honestly, I do think they're close too. I just think the third one is really it's the hardest of the three mm-hmm. because it's it's Toby. Toby's style of horror is to grab you, to walk right up to you, or to inside take that back. You see him coming, but he's running full speed, and it doesn't look like he's coming to hug you. Uh-huh. It's like this flailing mad dangerous thing and then he gets at you and he grabs you in the front of your fucking shirt and gets right in your face and he just screams in your face at full fucking volume he screams he's not the guy that like creeps up behind you and you feel a cold finger on the back of your neck yeah around there's no one there that's not toby hooper (laughs) toby hooper says that shit's for cowards homie toby hooper gets right up in there it's like a nightmare it's like a fucking nightmare and when his movies are operating on all cylinders they feel like nightmares you can't wake up from everything's loud and it's chaotic and you don't know what's going on. I mean, you kind of know what's going on, but you really don't like where it really matters. You really don't. And it's scary inside. And there are a couple moments in this where Mark Hamill kind of gets to that place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, We unhinged uh, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. I I know someone said it. I think it was Craven's at one point. I think it was last house on the left. Like it felt like a criminal made this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Because it offended them so deeply. Well, when Toby Hooper's hidden, it feels like a like a, a deranged person made the movie, like someone who was not well at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, so this one didn't you didn't like it as much as the second one, but did it disturb you or did it horrify you? Did you did you find it at all kind of freaky? Yeah, I mean, it has some really disturbing imagery, like you know, Hamill yeah. with the big with the glass in his eye after mm. the car wreck, and then like some of the stuff with his visions. Mm. Uh, pretty gnarly at, at yeah. times. It can be jarring and, and very, no, I don't want to say invasive because that makes it sound like what happened to his fucking eye. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not like that. But it can just be, it's that Toby Hooper way where it can kind of get to you a little bit, you know? And I don't mean like this is one of the most disturbing things ever made people. Like people are going to be like, ooh, I haven't seen this movie, but he's making it sound like fucking Sutter Kane or something. Like it's going to drive me insane. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's it's what toby hooper does and there's some moments it's not the whole thing the whole thing is not like one long sustained shriek but like chris said there's there's a couple moments of some imagery and uh you'll be like oh fuck at least this also is the the longest of the three i think it's a little over half an hour you know that makes sense too yeah it's it's good and it's weird but again i think it suffers from a little familiarity it's a good version of the whole i lost this thing i got a transplant of this thing oh but no it's a bad thing it's gone (laughs) bad it came from a bad person doing bad things and now i either see bad things or i want to do bad things or it makes me do bad things (laughs) you know it's we've all seen those stories because we love horror movies body parts the hand all the all the way back to mad love the hands of warlock all that shit this one is a decent take on it it's it it, it gets like you said because of the visions it gets to play with some disturbing shit because it's the eye what did you think about the killer though and the whole I mean, would we call it the killer lore? You know, like with all the Bible-y stuff or like all the writing and everything, how we see and all that. And Yeah. Like, do you think that's 
cool or um to be honest i can't remember the details well then see Um, it's it's not he did not strike you as particularly great (laughs) yeah i mean i just don't remember i remember that he was a serial killer and it's as i remember seeing his victims and stuff like that yeah i can only remember so much but i remember he's killing ladies and it's you know it's probably something to do with the bible and his mama it always is it's it's always that shit right (laughs) so yeah that's what i was gonna say is that it's it's again a pretty traditional thing but i think it's all done well enough did did anything strike you as being like ew that kind of sucked the only thing that i didn't like i would say might be mark hamill's southern accent at times wow it kind of goes in and out wow I didn't. Criticism of one of the preeminent voice (laughs) actors of our generation, a man known, renowned far and wide for the use of his voice, the skill of his timber, his accents, his voice work, sir. And you dare to question? (laughs) I think maybe it's because his voice work, like in animation and stuff. I'm not looking at Luke Skywalker while I'm hearing it. Whereas this, it's like Luke Skywalker with a mustache, but he sounds like. Um, I just think it's kind of a bad accent. <laughs> to be fair, he's not trying to do it subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, it is kind of a, you know, I'm not going to say it's like right next to fucking Rooster, but it's not far. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, I'm, I, I can't really, you know, argue with you about that at all. He is kind of going a little big. But I mean, it is it is kind of Mark Hamill. And in, in a sense, like we kind of want him. Because he, he does operate in that realm, too. He'll be like, I can do it subtle for you. Mm-hmm. I can do it real subtle. But you know what? Generally, when you ask me to come in and, and when you hire Mark Hamill, you come in and kind of ask me to do a thing, right? Right? Mm-hmm. You want me to do a thing? I, I want to do a thing. I'm Mark Hamill. I do things. And and then he does a thing, and it's fucking killer. But in this case, Chris is like a little too foghorn leghorn, man. <laughs> a, little too, uh, a little too southern lawyer I say, I say. Speaking before, I still, the hey, I still love Mark Hamill. He was great in the House of Usher. Oh, brother, that show, that fucking show, pretty fucking sweet. Shit, <laughs> and I haven't even seen the finale yet, and I know that motherfucker ain't gonna play. Almost a full length. It is a full length movie. It's like an hour and twenty six or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, sorry. All this to say, Mark Hamill is is we love Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill rules. I like I. If I'm being honest, I would say. I only like it a little bit better than hair. Yeah. So honestly, if you caught me on the right day, I might be like, you know what? I actually, I think hair is my second favorite of these three. Because again, it's not like either of the last two are bad ones. They're very close to the same level of good. I think the the gas station is just, don't we all just want to see John Carpenter playing in a slasher? Yeah. <laughs> like fucking, don't we just want to see that? Oh, I want to go watch that again right now because of that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, also the you know the other thing about I that I think brings it down a level maybe is I don't think Twiggy's all that great either. <laughs> ah, I think she's fine. I think yeah. Sheena Easton is better. Yeah, I agree. Uh, at feeling a little bit more natural, Twiggy seems a little a little stiff or mm-hmm. un not uncomfortable. I don't know, but I mean, <laughs> she, I know she's done stuff like that over in England. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I've always been kind of like, oh, that's Twiggy. It, that's the one that feels most like stunt casting in a way. Yeah, I didn't even know who that was. I had to look I her up. I was also going to say, weirdly, it's stunt casting. It's the most stunt casting for the person that l- the least amount of people know who she is. <laughs> yeah, she was mostly a British model, right? Yeah. So she's probably like hosted 
like specials or like TV shows or stuff like that where she's used to like being a, a performer, being herself, but like playing a part, maybe she's a little more uncomfortable and more stiff with that. She probably put out like some pop single over there too that like went oh, to sure. number 32. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think of I? I mean, what would you, how would you sum that, that bad boy up? Do you think Toby Hooper fit in with the rest of it? Yeah. I thought, I mean, it's, um, it's probably my least favorite of the three, but it is a nice capper. And it's also, I don't, I don't know that it's the most serious because like gas station is plays it pretty straight, but like, it's definitely like the darkest and most disturbing of the three. So they kind of go out with, yeah, the most hard hitting horror of the three. Yeah. definitely. And I do think it is the most serious, at least in terms of tone. The, the first one, the, the slasher one. Yeah. It's pretty serious. There's not a lot of jokey stuff in it. There's a little bit, but I mean, not enough that you'd think this inspired Kevin Williamson when he did Scream. <laughs> yeah. Nothing like that. But it's just the way it feels. The tone of, of it feels more fucked up and darker in I than it does. Probably just because of the way, you know, again, John Carpenter and Co- uh, Toby Hooper approach horror. Toby wants to scream in your fucking face. <laughs> That's pretty dark. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, and then after that, what do we have? We have the wrap-up segment where we get to meet another couple of cameos, Tom Arnold and the aforementioned uh, Toby Hooper, his own self. Yeah, that was kind of – that was one of the weird things. Like, I get Toby Hooper because he's another one of the directors. But having Tom Arnold as the other morgue guy was just like <clears> – <throat> kind of seemed kind of random. <laughs> yeah, I th- and I it like really Tom Arnold is. Fine, but. Yeah, I do. I, I actually think I like Tom Arnold more than most. Not like enough to call myself a big fan, but I, th- uh-huh. I don't, I don't hate him. I think he's talented. I think he's been funny in a lot of things. That said, random is the perfect fucking word for it because it almost feels like they needed somebody, and he was the most famous person around that day. Yeah, <laughs> they could find on the lot, like where they were filming. They just kind of went out, and they were like. Tom, can you come in? Can you get dressed in some scrubs and shoot with us for a couple hours, dude? We just need you to do this one scene. And he's like, okay. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. He's Tom Arnold. What the fuck else are you going to do? You know, even if he was filming other shit, it was only so much that he had going on. It's Tom Arnold. <laughs> Sorry. But I, I did like that to see them. You know, I mean, generally in that kind of thing, you would think, oh, I assume that John Landis and uh, Joe Dante were busy. Yeah. <laughs> because those guys always show up together. And almost always together, like in Sleepwalkers. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty great. But it was nice to see uh, Toby Hooper. And as random as it was, it was nice to see Tom Arnold. And like you said, this is where we find out that our garrulous, you know, smart-ass host, John Carpenter, the coroner, is – he may have been a coroner, but yeah, at this point, point he's very <laughs> much fucking dead, which is nice. We get to see a little uh, – well, don't they uh, remove his chest plate or something? Yeah, they like re- they break open his ribs and stuff. Yeah, so we get to see that he's got a little appliance on and everything. You're like, ah, oh, fucking John Carpenter, can't beat did you up? What's up, fucker? It's cool. Uh, they they crack, start cracking the head open with the head saw. That's right. That's how it ends. So, and that's how uh, that ends. When did you first see this? I did not see it until. Uh, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, it was when I was kind of going through all the Carpenter stuff I hadn't seen. And I think I had to rent it on like VOD or something, maybe on Amazon or something. I can't remember. And then I got the uh, the Scream Blu-ray a few years ago. Nice. That's a beautiful looking fucking Blu-ray too. Mm-hmm. One of the first I got, because I was just getting Blu-rays at that time. And I was trying to make sure I got every fucking John Carpenter. And Scream Factory was just putting all his stuff out, just beginning to, you know. And I was like, body bags? Really? Awesome. 
I did not know that they were committed to try to put fucking everything the man put out uh, mm-hmm. at that time yet, which, you know, again, they're doing God's work. God bless yeah, you, not, Scream Factory. Not, not a complaint. Oh, God, I love Scream Factory. I didn't get to see this when it came out because I did not have Showtime, but they did put it out on VHS fairly quickly. Uh, yeah, that was one of the VHS covers I really remember uh, from my teenage years. It's uh, a cool with, cover. Like, yeah, with him ripping through the body bag. And it's all day glow, like dark purples and like mm-hmm. greens and shit. And his eyes are all lit up and everything. Or just weird looking, you know. It was it was pretty cool to see that, that uh, VHS cover. And it would have come out, I don't know, uh, a year or so after it came out, maybe. Uh, so 94 or whatever. I knew of it and I was just pissed that I didn't get to see it because I didn't have showtime. So the second it came out, I rented it. I was like, this is cool. I like it. I like it a lot. But yes, the moment the blue was released i'm like oh you know i'm owning this shit it's it's a good one it's it's a fun one and i'm glad you brought it up and that we got to talk about it watch it people watch it so that's our 90s entry to the anthologies that we're we're covering yeah we're gonna move into the aughts with um 2007's trick or treat um from uh written and directed by michael dougherty produced by brian singer we're not gonna talk too much about that Uh, (laughs) we can't blame uh, the movie for that it's not the movie's fault that that fucker was involved (laughs) michael dougherty was the director he directed krampus we love that too and king of the monsters i think that's right yes godzilla king of the monsters which i love more than most people as well i think it's my favorite of those godzilla movies Um, yeah I kind of like them all, but that one I think is the best one. There's some truly fucking staggering imagery in it. Like, exactly the kind of shit I want to look at when I see a a big monster movie like that. It's like he and I are on the same page. Like, he's showing me, like, like if that's the kind of stuff he wants to see, that's what I want to see. So, yeah. And Trick or Treat is where I think we all were like, oh, this guy rocked. Yeah. And this was one that was made... I think for a while before it got released and never got the actual release. It's a whole ass thing. Yeah. It was going to be released and they decided they weren't going to do it. And then it just sat. Yeah. It had, it had played a festival and it blown up in the festival. Yeah. I can look at here. It says, despite being delayed for two years and having only a limited number of screenings at film festivals, it received much critical acclaim and has since garnered a strong cult following. We know all about that. And a pretty good cast, Dylan Baker, Anna Paquin, Brian Cox, uh, amongst others, and it gave us maybe the last horror icon we've really gotten that I can think of. I mean, unless you count Art the Clown, which I think those movies suck, so I'm not going to count him. Uh, with, are, we uh, counting, are we counting the Babadook? Um, I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I like that movie, but I don't know that it's had that big of an impact outside of... That's why yeah. I'm asking. That's why yeah, I'm asking. I mean, it was critically what acclaimed. We, what are we yeah, calling an icon? Yeah, I, I don't know. I would say that Sam definitely is the last of that type. Yeah, uh, plus the Babadook is kind of a different... Thing. Yeah, it is. It's art house. It's not like this big. It, it's not meant to be a horror icon, really. But I mean, it is kind of this thing that people have taken to themselves in this. It, it is an icon in its way. Now, that's all I'm asking. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the same thing. And no, I don't think it counts either. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was just curious what you thought, because some people do. You know, and that's what, bro, this podcast, dude, we, we ask the hard hitting questions. We, we get into the fucking serious shit, the nitty of the gritty, dude. Piss people off. <laughs> um, sometimes you got to be a little controversial, man. But we'll move away from that now. We're just going to be real non-controversial and say Trick or Treat kicks every last mm-hmm. ounce of ass on the planet Earth and beyond. That's what and, I know. Um, Sam is the uh, icon I was mentioning about it. I don't know if I named him earlier, but yeah, pretty fucking awesome. Good Short character design. And Sam Hain, also actually pronounced Sawin. 
which uh, the little girl will tell you in this movie. So yeah, there are the, this one has I think four or five different storylines going, but they're all kind of going on concurrently, uh, and we yeah. kind of jump around in a nonlinear fashion and see you know things develop that way. So, but I guess we can just kind of talk about each of the segments individually and how they intersect. Intersect. We can talk about those as we go along, I guess. And I think last year. I did, or you did, one of us, uh, we were picking movies to watch at Halloween, and one of us did this. I'm pretty so, sure you did. Oh, I know we did. I just don't yeah. remember which one of us it was. Probably <laughs> me. But, and then you talked about it as well. So we have previously waxed a little poetic about this, if you'd like to hunt out that earlier episode. If we do repeat some of our same thoughts, we do apologize, but our thoughts are our thoughts, and that's how we feel about it. We, <laughs> I just have to reiterate how strongly we feel about it. Or certain things. For example, I think it's rad that this movie is set in a place, Warren Valley, Ohio, that apparently takes fucking Halloween more seriously than any goddamn place in the history of anywhere <laughs> ever, ever. Like, yeah, I don't, I mean, fuck up in this place. You don't see many Main Street parades uh, for Halloween. Oh, well, not can. even that, but like, there are punishments that have been created and are enforced for not, <laughs> and like, enforced yeah. thoroughly. Like, ugh. Like, it's how it starts like that. This chick, Sam didn't approve. He didn't yeah. like how Leslie Bibb was getting down, you know? Maybe he was, I don't know, maybe he wasn't a fan of that old show Popular. Maybe he didn't like that she's with Sam Rockwell. I don't know, dude. But at the end of the day, he didn't like that she took the fucking, you know, decorations down and she had to pay. What I have a question about that decoration scene, it took me, I didn't quite get everything that had happened to her on the first viewing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, all I really remember is the sucker in the mouth. But does yes. she get her head cut off as well? Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. She gets turned into a decoration, and it's pretty red. Pretty gory, uh, gnarly looking. But the live action bit of it is pretty quick, and the the animation, well, the the uh, the drawing it turns to, mm-hmm. that is a bit more clearer in what has happened to her. It's gnarly, like you said, Sam, and he slashed her throat too with the uh, <laughs> the little sucker. Yeah. Oh, Sam. Incorrigible <laughs> little scamp. He just wants people to, you know, to, to celebrate right. traditions alive. Exactly. And that's really all the principal, principal Stephen Wilkins, that's his name. That's all Principal Wilkins is into. It's a, everyone in the town. It's all about celebrating it right, following the right traditions, following the rules. Yeah, and the principal kind of explains that to uh, the kid from Bad Santa. <laughs> I don't remember his name. Charlie is his name in this. Okay. The kid himself, yeah, he's the one whose name is Thurman Merman. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I like Bad Santa and Bad Santa 2. I've only seen them a couple times, but, you know, they're pretty funny. The best part about those movies is that they brought that kid back as an adult and he looked exactly the same just like an adult version (laughs) with the little perm and the shirts that are too tight yeah it's true it's true i have only seen band sat into the one time and that was a pretty funny gag i did like it uh the first bad sand i used to have the unrated version on dvd and i've seen that movie probably too many times i love it but yeah it was great to see him pop up in this and get horribly murdered and in a really gross way yeah, just buckets of bloody vomit as he, uh, I believe he was uh, poisoned with cyanide yeah. by the principal. Yeah, it's, what is it, like this chocolatey, gooey, bloody... It's disgusting. Yeah, and it goes and on. The sound effects are, you know, kind of perfect, but also disgusting. That's why it's perfect. And it's also perfect because it's disgusting. And, and it's the, the cool twist with the principal is, like, you kind of worry that he's going to kill his kid who keeps bugging the shit out of him to help him carve a pumpkin. And you see 
that the kid's kind of in on it. <laughs> he's, he's just he's raising him in murder yeah. and mayhem. His uh, his education is not just he's not an educator only at school is what we're, we're learning. He's he's an educator in, in the home. And the kid has that great line, Charlie Brown's an asshole, <laughs> which is one of the greatest moments in anything other. And I love Charlie Brown, but I love that the kid is that, that the kid is that kind of asshole to call Charlie Brown an asshole. Yeah, that whole moment. And we get to meet uh, the next door neighbor for a little bit during this whole first segment. Because yeah, in the beginning we get Sam, he kills the little lady for not doing uh, his little decorations right. That little segment is over. And then we move to the real segment. Because that first one is not really a wraparound story, but yeah, it doesn't feel a, like a real, it feels like a warm up. And then you have this one, the principal Steven killing the kid. You find out he's been killing kids or something. <laughs> he's got, you know what I mean? Like, it never really explains it to you. You just have to go, oh, there's a kid still alive being buried in the backyard or wrapped in a sack or something. Or what the fuck is going on with this guy? And you never really know. I mean, did you did you feel like the movie needed to explain it any more than it did? Or do you like how it leaves it? Yeah, it, it leaves it fine. But we see more of how fucked up he is later in the movie when he intersects in one of the other yes. segments. Yeah. And then, again, interestingly, he comes up again where we don't expect it. And it's like, oh! this is nice. Fuck you. So yeah, I mean, this one is kind of, this one's pretty quick, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like the first less than 10 minutes, probably. Yeah. So we find out the kid is in it and then it moves on to, uh, the kids that came to his door, the ones he didn't kill. Yeah. The trick or treaters, the three. Yeah. And, uh, they, they meet up with, there's, there's three main trick or treaters and they meet up with an older boy and then they pick up, the weird girl in the neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. They're collecting jack-o'-lanterns and they, when they're collecting jack-o'-lanterns, they end up collecting this girl who's into Halloween. She seems to be, you know, autistic or something. Mm-hmm. And she's probably the most likable character in the whole yeah, movie. Basically the only sympathetic character we come across. There you go. I, I love Rhonda so much. Like I feel very protective of Rhonda watching the movie. Everything that happens to those kids. Like I want to see it. I want to see more. Anyway, we'll get to that. <laughs> so they collect this girl, and they this is where we get the flashback. Uh, other than Sam, probably the most famous aspect of the movie, I think, the flashback to the school bus massacre. Yeah. I think you should tell us about that, Chris. Tell us about okay. Yeah, you know, they, they're trying to scare Rhonda, and they tell her the story of how years ago, decades ago, the um, there's this urban legend of uh, a school bus driver who drove the uh, school bus for, like, the uh, mentally challenged kids at the time. And the parents all saw them as, like, embarrassments and to more trouble than they were worth, so they paid the bus driver. Say again? A burden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they paid the bus driver to chain him to the seats and send the bus over a cliff into the ocean. So they end up taking Rhonda to, you know. The, they take her to that fucking cliff, the quarry, yeah. <laughs> where there's water down there. I think it's yeah. some quarry and shit because, like, there's, it has that equipment to take the elevator down and everything, mm-hmm. you know. They fucking take her there at night in the dark on Halloween and to tell her this story in the mist and smoke on the edge of the water and scared the living shit out of her. And it's a yeah, horrible story. Up. Yeah, they dress up as as corpses to scare into thinking that they're that they are the ghosts of those kids. But um, then the ghosts really do show up. <laughs> the ghosts <laughs> of those kids show up and fucking slaughter all of them. And again, I wish I could see it because I wanted them all to die. <laughs> yeah, it was and the, so and fucking kind of neat, the dude. Is, is Rhonda consciously letting them leaving them to their fate instead of letting them back on the elevator? As well, she should. Rhonda, our little. <laughs> Goth, autistic Halloween queen. You know, and Sam recognizes that. He sees her. He kind of nods to her, and she's like taking her little wagon with the 
pumpkins in it, the jack-o'-lanterns, you know, with her little witch's hat on. She's just going to go back home. Yeah, Sam kind of pops up in all of these. He's on the periphery of everything. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of, you know, this is mostly a horror movie, but there's a lot of comedic elements in it as well. It's it's kind of a halfway comedy. And when the kids are first sugar-treating, they end up at their teacher's house. <laughs> and Well, there's some kind of insane orgy going on. Yeah, there's some kind of like key party, furry orgy thing going on. And the teacher offers them a drink. And the one <laughs> the one girl with the... The headgear? Yeah, with like the headgear for her mouth. She's like, sure! <laughs> like all excited about it. But then her party gets rained, or her parade gets rained on by the, by the lead girl. But I, I always cackle every time that pops up. That scene is, in its way, more disturbing than anything else in the movie. Because <laughs> yeah. there's things you kind of see that you don't really see and that you don't want to see. And it just yeah. feels like you shouldn't see it. And yeah. it's and then the pirate and, boy kind of explains what he saw <laughs> as well. And it doesn't sound right, but it, it's probably not far off. And yeah. if it's even if it's half right, it's real wrong. And it's just <laughs> not good. Mm-hmm. The whole thing's not good. I'm glad you brought that up because then I didn't have to and look like a pervert. You get to be had <laughs> it on the mind. But you're absolutely right to bring it up because it's it's a weird and gross little scene. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's fucking gross as shit. Anyway, yeah, we, so there's that. Yeah. We go from that one to uh, the um, the college girls who are in town uh, to looking to hook up with some strangers. And uh, that's right. For uh, the parade, Halloween, they're all dressed up. And it's all uh, in their slutty Paquin. costumes. Yeah, Anna Paquin. They're all dressed as fairy tale characters, like Little uh, Red Riding Hood and Cinderella. Cinderella. And they, they really make it sound like, you know, they're just there to party and hook up with random guys. And, and they're trying to get fucking Paquin to pop her cherry. Yeah, exactly. That's basically what it does. You got to lose her virginity, man. They're all working very hard to make sure this happens. Her older sister and her friends talking about their first times, and it's all this thing, and it seems awkward, and you kind of go, oh, let's root for Anna Paquin to get fucked. This is pre-True Blood Paquin, I believe. It's a couple years before that show. Not long before. By the time the movie actually came out, it was probably on. Yeah, that's probably true. I'm, I'm assuming maybe, you know, Brian Singer being the X-Men guy might have been why Pac-Man ended up in this. But Same thing with Brian Cox. And mm-hmm. Doherty uh, was one of the writers on X2. Oh, that's cool. I don't think I knew that. Um, yeah, he started as a screenwriter. Fucking good writer. Um, but yeah, Anna Paquin and her whole Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, I don't really recognize any of the other girls from other stuff. The the, the blonde, I do, but I don't know what I know her from. And the other two, I'm not familiar with, really. But um, uh, The black girl, Rochelle Ates, I want to say her name is, or Atis. Uh I've seen her in something, and I don't remember what. But the sister and the other girl, no fucking clue. Yeah. No fucking clue. But I mean, it's fine. They're only in it so much. And it's really Anna Paquin's game to win or lose. <laughs> yeah. And it's that's when you really see how there's the Halloween parade. And in that segment, you see most mostly that's where you mostly see the parades in that segment and all the stuff that's going on around the Main Street and stuff. And it's basically like a big it looks like what you see in movies when there's a big college party going on. <laughs> but it's it's all outdoors at this Halloween festival town setting. Yeah, kind of like a mix between that, not Mardi Gras vibe exactly, but a bit, you know, there's TV crews there and shit. And it also looks like the kind of thing that small town local big deal, like the Croker Parade or whatever it was called in fucking I Know You Did Last Summer kind of thing. 
because that scene where it, the cloaked guy is chasing the girl through the alleys feels like Helen being chased by the yeah. fisherman in her death scene in that movie. So that's why it makes me think of that. But that's where we find out that the principal, Stephen Wilkins, is running around with fake fucking vampire fangs <laughs> and killing girls. Just, yeah. you know, for the fuck of it. Um, and then and it you goes don't back know he like you know there's the guy chase the cloaks figure with the mask chasing girls and uh, oh yeah I just gave away the game didn't I no that's that's cool I'm assuming most people have seen this that are that are well listening. we are giving everything away I just yeah. did it because uh, yeah he kills but, her and then we find out that it's him yeah and it it could be a real vampire we don't really know at that point and then he goes after Anna Paquin's character and that's when it's revealed when pa- Paquin takes him back to the uh, the party where they're having it in the woods all the girls I mean, have their guys in the woods to be to be specific and I don't mean to correct you like an asshole but I to be specific <laughs> it's awesome because of the way it happens she doesn't so much bring him back to the party as she does drop him into the middle of it yeah. literally drops him from up in the trees and shit because you think he's gotten her he's stalked mm-hmm. her through the woods little red riding hood being stalked that's you know all that stuff looks beautiful by the way they really hit that hard in the trailer because it's really beautiful striking imagery of her looking like little red riding hood through the misty woods at night and mm-hmm. it's great and you think he's gotten her and then it cuts back to the party around the fire you know this fire in the woods that the sister and her friends have brought all these assholes that they've randomly picked up at places <laughs> and it does seem too good to be true because it is but it's like they're just basically grabbing guys off the street and hey i'm this incredibly hot young lady do you want to have sex with me tonight yeah. right now and it's like oh uh, yeah sure and so they take him to this bonfire party in the woods and they're all around the the fire and this dude just drops from the trees and she shows up and that's when everything sweet dreams are made of this starts to <laughs> yeah, play the uh, Hansen version and why don't you tell them what they won chris tell them what happens <laughs> yeah all these guys actually did not win the sex party lottery they they uh are all being consumed by female werewolves as yeah. Pack of werewolves, all ladies. Yeah, it's kind of a dust till dawn type twist where very much. Um, yeah, they, the 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 and the the effects of the the werewolves transformation, where the women are basically just ripping their own flesh off to reveal the the werewolves underneath, is pretty excellent. It is because it's not usually how transformation scenes go. It's a nice and it's more so and it's, it's also like a sexual thing where. They're kind disrobing of. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And with that music playing and the way it's being filmed, and again, they're all female. Sure. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's- and, and we, and that's when we see that that's the principal with the uh, with the fangs. That's when it's finally revealed that he's the one that was was stalking the women earlier in the, the party. Um, like an impotent little bitch. Now the last segment is the one where Sam really gets to take center stage. Uh, when um, Brian Cox, we see him. He hates Halloween. He's Seems to be kind of an old shut-in, and there's a reason why he's a miserable old man. As I'm not sure at what point it is revealed that he was the bus driver, but... It's, I think, near the very end. Yeah, because we see him earlier just in bits and pieces through, from the principal's point of view, he's the neighbor earlier. And he's he's just the cranky old get-off-my-lawn dude, the Scrooge character. That Doesn't want to give any candy out to trick-or-treaters. No. And, of course, that offends Sam to his very core. <laughs> And so Sam, you know, the mascot of Halloween and the guy who you better, better. I mean, he's a he's a lot more strict about shit than the Great Pumpkin. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and he decides that Brian Cox has has just made an egregious mistake and must be corrected. He must he must be educated. And so this episode is about the education of Mr. Queek by Sam. And it's 
fucking crazy. I love it. Yeah, he's, I love it so he's much. in his house and he's got a shotgun and uh, there's a lot of cool, like you see like Sam crawling on the ceiling like Spider-Man or something at one point. It's, and we get to realize not just the creature that Sam is, but that he's, he, there's some supernatural shit going on with him too because of how quickly he rearranges and mm-hmm. sets things up. You know, how quickly the house changes. It's wild, bro. And uh, when we when we see Sam without his mask, finally, that's that's an incredible creature design. I'm a big fan. It, it looks pumpkinish, but like a demon pumpkin. <laughs> a demon jack-o'-lantern that's alive. And the idea that the when he like he loses a hand mm-hmm. and he gets like holes shot in him and stuff. And like the pumpkin guts are coming out of him with yeah. seeds and everything. And it's all straight. It's actual pumpkin guts. Anyone who's ever carved a jack-o'-lantern before sees that. And it's like it takes you to like. <laughs> carving the feeling of it like it does something to your mind and it's it's such an amazing thing because the little monster i guess we could call it but we all love this little fucker he's not really a monster to us he's he's composed of pumpkin flesh it's alive and the idea that that stuff is can you imagine touching that and it like being alive and not just like pumpkiny but like rather not pumpkin? imagine it chris think about it <laughs> think about it you touched it and it it feels alive that's crazy and I hope all of you out there thought about that, too. And I hope it fucked you up. Happy <laughs> Halloween. That's what it's all about. Let's get weird. <laughs> and Sam has some fun with, with uh, Krieg. But Krieg kind of gets out in the end. Like He, he kind of escapes Sam's wrath. But not, he does get uh, punished. Sam hurts him. We could go into details, but we'll let people who haven't seen it maybe figure that out. But he... I don't want to say like he redeems himself, but like <laughs> yes, Sam decide you you I accept your apology. Is that really what it is, or like I accept your offer? You know, like he's he give all he it wanted was like to come he, to his house and get candy. It seems like he's sort of like well, you've learned your lesson, so yeah, it is like that. I also always felt, at least it seemed to me, like all you had to do was give me this goddamn candy. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm gonna go. But kicker all the way back in the other story. Two stories ago, the Halloween school bus massacre, those dead kids dragged themselves out of the water, and they weren't just doing that to fuck up the asshole kids. (laughs) They wanted to come say hello to the guy that drove them into the water, Mm. and that's where we ended. They all show up to say hello, and do you think it should have ended with them, like, do you you think it should have put a hat on a hat and actually ended with them on the doorstep going, trick or treat? (laughs) No, I think it ended pretty perfectly, and we also see... The moments that the principal was seeing earlier a few times kind of show like how this is nonlinear. And- oh, yeah, because we see through the window stuff happening with him. And now we get to see that through his eyes, the context mm-hmm. of it. A couple times things happen like that or like not the same way it does here where we're actually seeing part of a story that we've seen before just from a different angle but the other characters walk in and out of the other stories at least once not just sam yeah we i think we see leslie bibb and her husband a couple of times in this yeah on the street like you had pointed out at the very beginning this is all more or less happening within the same hour and a half period and then we just jump movie itself is only like an hour 22 it's like a really short and yeah. sweet Halloween flick. Kind of yeah, needs to be seen on Halloween or within a day or two of Halloween every year, I think. It is one of the must-watches every year on Halloween for me. It is already scheduled. I've made an actual <laughs> Halloween schedule this year. I've not done that. That's all we before. got for, uh, for, uh, for Trick or Treat. Uh, anything else before we move on to our last one? Nope, that's about it. Other than that, you should do it, people. It is a Halloween classic, I'm sure you know. But if you know, you know. And you know why we're talking about it. And I hope that it makes you want to watch it again or that... 
you want to it makes you want to show it to people who maybe haven't seen it because everybody should see it i love it so our last one we got from 2013 it's a the found footage horror anthology film vhs 2 so the vhs franchise is fairly popular i'm sure a lot of people don't like them because they're all like found footage type stuff and i normally i'm not big on found footage uh, i like some you know but there's a lot that i a lot of times i'm just like why is this a found footage movie instead of just a regular horror movie or whatever <laughs> but um this is the second flick in this franchise they did uh they did three in like the early 2010s and then they kind of went away for a while and then shutter has brought them back recently the last three years they've put out one every year just movies every october yeah but i think this is probably my favorite of them uh because mostly because my favorite segment is in this one uh which we'll talk about first we will this one has a lot of directors who have kind of gotten bigger as the years have gone on jason eisner uh who we talked about recently did a kids versus aliens which is relevant to this (laughs) discussion uh, yeah, here. and I'm really happy about that. I I really do want to say that it kind of sucks. Eisner did this, and he's done Hobo with a Shotgun, and then we waited so fucking long for him to do another movie, and it was Kids vs. Aliens, which is great. But, man, I, I wish he had been able to make as many as Adam Wingard uh, had been able to make. Timo T. Tahanto? I don't know how to say his name. Timo. Yeah, I don't either. Gareth Evans. Those dudes made more movies. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I'm just upset that Jason Eisner didn't get to make more movies yet. I guess it just didn't work out for him the way I would have hoped. Because I love Hobo with a Shotgun, and I ended up loving Kids vs. Aliens, which is essentially what he ended up doing here. A very rough draft of that, essentially. Yeah. Uh, also, Eduardo Sanchez and Greg Hale of uh, Blair Witch Project fame have a segment in this one as well. Eduardo Sanchez likes to do uh, he's good at the found footage thing he also did the bigfoot one called exists did you ever see that i think i did is that the one with the where at the end he calls his uncle not that i remember no Uh, it's a found footage thing kids going up to a cabin they're like road tripping and and they're going to go up to the cabin and right when they get there they hit something okay yeah and it's like a it's like a baby Bigfoot, and the mama yeah. just goes wild. <laughs> on I thought that was hellaciously good. Mm-hmm. I just think he really knows how to do found footage type storytelling. Like you said, a lot of them, you're like, why is it being done this way? You almost have to justify the choice in storytelling. They don't really. No one needs to justify shit to us. But as the viewers, sometimes we're like, it would have been more effective if you had told it in the traditional way. Mm-hmm. I think one of the cool things about the VHS movies that I've seen anyway, and I hope they still do it with the newer ones, and I'm just going to be honest about it up front. I haven't seen any of those. But a cool thing about the VHS movies that I saw, and I have to assume you'll agree with me, is that they seemed interested in trying to use the format in interesting and different ways to tell the story. Yeah. And a perfect example is the one that Eduardo Sanchez did in this one with Greg Hale, the, the ride in the park. I think that one rocks. If it wasn't for Safe Haven, that would be my favorite. So the sort of framing device for this, none of these framing devices in these VHS movies really make a lot of sense to me. I think they're as profundly as they can be, because yeah. we're just trying trying to come up with a reason why we would have the story. People are watching all these tapes, I don't know, yeah. a private investigator and his assistant chick go to this place that they've been told to go, and while they're there, they just start looking for something? Fine, let's yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why these tapes like affect <clears throat> her the way they do or whatever. None of them seem, I don't know, they're all like cursed, I guess. It's kind of, it doesn't really matter. It's mostly just about the segments. So 
the first one, this isn't actually, so Simon Barrett did the framing device. And then the first actual segment, phase one, clinical trials written by Barrett, but directed by Adam Wingard, who would do your next around the same time. And then he did the guests, of course, and then got into bigger budget movies. The most recent one was Kong versus Godzilla. And I'm a huge fan of Wingard and, I like this one fine. I know because we talked about it a little bit before that you seem to hate this one. So I'll give you <laughs> your <laughs> platform to uh, complain about this one because, um, yeah. No, no, I don't. I don't hate it. I just don't. I don't. I just don't think anything. I don't think there's anything special about it. It does not inspire me in any way where I want to keep watching it. <laughs> it makes me want to turn it off. It, like if I was, if it was old school me back in the day and I was watching this on TV, it would make me change the channel. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just, it just, it does not catch me. I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever seen, but it really loses my interest fast. And it, it, it I don't mean that in any larger sense. It's the worst thing in the world is fucking not liking a movie. You know, no, 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 I'm not crazy. I'm just saying that's the worst case scenario for me i'd rather hate things with my all of my guts and being because then at least i feel something about it this makes me want to find something i do feel something about this makes me want to find something that at least i hate so it isn't that i hate it dude it's just fine (laughs) let's get through it let's get through it i know i know this shit isn't going to be that long let's just get through it which is what you do in anthology movies like we we've talked about some of them are not they're just not going to catch you they're just not going to do it for you they're some of them are going to actively anger you this one does not do that for me but out of anthology movies that overall i like or that i really really recommend to people which i would definitely do with vhs2 for safe haven if nothing else this is one of the instances where the episode is just it's about as weak in any of those big movies i can think of as weak an episode in any of the movies i would say that i would people saying they're one of the best it's just yeah one of the weakest not one of the most hated not one of the most hated, my friend. One of the most hated are generally in, in movies that we're not even talking about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really hate, outright hate, any of the stories in any of the movies we've been talking about. That I, I don't think, you know, any that I'm like, you know what? I just, I, I want to scrub them from the movie. Or do you have, it, have any of those? Um, I don't Any think that you just that would just remove? Nothing that pops off on the top of my head. Okay. Well, then see, we're doing all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like as bad as we might feel the episodes are or as uninspiring, none of them are so bad as that we're like, yeah, they they actively hurt the movie so much I wish they weren't in the movie. So that's all right. We're doing okay there. I think you're being too nice. Anyway, so uh this one basically just about Adam Wingard gets uh an ocular implant because he loses an eye and it's some kind of clinical trial where like they're recording things through the eye, like it's a recording device, which is cool that it it gives a really good excuse for like yeah why this is sound footage like it that's like you were saying earlier like it has a cool uh device for that but like he's also seeing like ghosts and stuff because of the eye this it's one is like a high-tech as- version of eye yeah this one isn't as good as that one <laughs> but yeah like like you said i don't i don't think it's uh bad i don't think it's particularly good it's it's probably the weakest in this uh movie Actually, it definitely is. I don't think it's the worst one, but yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't skip it or anything when I watch this one, so it's fine. I did yeah, not I skip have... it. I just waited for it to be over. <laughs> sure. Uh, same thing, Chris. All right. Uh, <laughs> He's like, fine, fine, fucker, fine. Yeah, that, I don't really have much uh, else to to say about that one. Some of the imagery is cool with the with the ghosts and stuff, and there's the female character that shows up that like clearly knows what's going on with Wingard because she has a an ear implant where 
uh, she can hear the she can't see anything, but she can hear the ghosts and stuff. So, and then because it's a Wingard joint, she has to naked, and they fuck mm-hmm. the ghosts away or something. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think he really yeah. does that in, in all of his movies. <laughs> he would he would do it one hundred percent in Godzilla versus Kong if he could have. <laughs> there's been another tits reason in I'm an if he, if he could have had tits in it there'd been tits in it disney, <laughs> yeah there's not disney but warner brothers said no anyway so yeah i mean that one it's fine there there it looks good like you said it, it's got an interesting visual hook to why they're telling the story that way and and it is one of the times you get to see wingard himself pop up you know doing his pov and everything because he's the main guy in it which he you know, we'll sometimes do in these shorts, or you'll sometimes see him pop up in this, just like Adam does. Yeah. Um, sorry. I am talking about Adam. I mean, Simon. Or Ty West. See, Simon, they're watching the PIs. He runs after the car or something. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, that's that's Simon. Nice. Anyway, yeah, the first one is what it is. Do you have any final thoughts about it before we get to... No, we can <laughs> we can move on to the uh, A Ride in the Park, the Eduardo Sanchez, Greg Hale, written by Jamie Nash. And another this one that has really... Simple. That say, it's saying? another one that has uh, an interesting, like, a reason why we're seeing this as found footage, because um, it's a GoPro-type thing on this guy's helmet. Yeah, it's got the simplest story. All, the way that some guys will hook up a GoPro to their bike helmet and go through a park, that's yeah. what he did. And this fucker runs into zombies, and he gets bit pretty quick. And then you have a zombie with a GoPro, mm-hmm. and that's that's what we're watching. Yeah, and it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and they it's, also come it's across real short too. It's like what ten minutes? Probably most of these are like ten to fifteen minutes, except for Safe Haven, which is like half an hour, I think. It's close to it. Yeah, but, but yeah, and they that's also the one that has a real story to it. Yeah. Uh, the zombies also come across like a uh, a kid's birthday party that's also going on at the park which makes a lot of cool havoc going on and we get alternate angles from like the video cameras from the shooting birthday. the actual party yeah yeah the zombies from another angle and stuff like that so <laughs> kind of getting cut together which was interesting yes and i do apologize listeners i clearly have a frog in my throat just as uh, just as much as chris is recovering from his own adventures <laughs> uh oddly he's not the one having problems tonight. i am so i apologize for the throat clearing and the coughing but Hopefully oh. there's not hairs growing up through there. Uh. Dude, why? Why do you have to do that to me? <laughs> now I'm going to be thinking about it all night. But yeah, the GoPro stuff, you know, with uh, coming across the party and it switches from that to the other video is a really nice, because it goes back and forth. And like you said, all, all it is, it's chaos. It's just back and forth chaos. It's nice that it's, it appears to be some kind of state park kind of situation because you will come across people having parties or just people hiking or whatever. And then... Suddenly, there's more zombies because yeah. <laughs> everybody's eating everybody. But what what do you think about this one? Is this one of your favorites? Uh, yeah, I like this one a lot. It's probably it's not my favorite of this, but it's it's probably the best one outside of. I think I like it more than the alien abduction one too. So it's probably the second best one. I love uh, uh, Sanchez. Like I'm a huge fan of the Blair Witch Project. Sure. And so it's cool. Like I, I'm always wonder like why him and Myrick they don't really. You know, they their their movies show up at, from time to time. They do independent stuff mostly now, but like I'm always like annoyed that they didn't get a bigger shot. Like after that huge success they had in coming coming up on 25 years ago, when he does get projects out into the world, they're usually worth checking out. And this one's definitely one. Yeah, and he likes to seem to work in the found footage genre. Not that he hasn't worked outside it. He has. I think Eric seems hasn't he done more stuff that's not. I think so. I I, I I wonder if maybe their success was what it was 
and they didn't have to deal with a bunch of studio bullshit making it, mm-hmm. you know? Maybe they just weren't willing to play the game and give up creative control the way they had to to get another thing going. I, I always wondered why they didn't get more shots than they have too. And I figure maybe they they're just maybe they're unlucky or maybe they're just like, you know, hey, it's gotta be right. I gotta be able to make it my way. Yeah. And if that's the case, good for them, because like you <laughs> said, most of the stuff, the stuff I've seen, it's all been good. They're doing it their way. Well, fuck, their way works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I really like A Ride in the Park. I do also think it's my second favorite. Well, uh, if you get nothing to- I was going to say, that's about it. So we're about to get into the big boy, dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, this is uh, this is your 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 white whale, Christopher. <laughs> I don't know about that. Safe Haven, directed by Timo Tahianto, maybe, and Gareth Evans. So Timo, what? Um, trying to, I'm looking to see what else he has done because I don't know him as well. Who um, Timo? Yeah, Timo the did night the night comes, night for, comes us. for us. He did Headshot. Yeah. Um, Killers, I want to say it's called. He has one of, yeah. if not the best segment in VHS 94 as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is very cool. And then Gareth Evans, obviously, uh, The Raid. The Raid. The Raid's <laughs> Redemption are the big... And Apostle, the Netflix folk horror movie with Dan mm-hmm. Stevens and Michael Sheen. That movie's pretty rad. Uh, but this one is uh, a film crew are kind of curious about the goings-on at this religious... I mean, it's a cult, clearly. <laughs> place in... Uh, totally. Yeah, in Indonesia. And they are able to convince the the leader of this cult to let them film there. And everything goes to fucking hell once they arrive. <laughs> and it does. It's just one of the most like insane, like twists and turns of like, once, once the guy, I think it kind of kicks off with the guy going crazy and attacking one of the uh, film crew. And then from then on, everything is just insanity. There's yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It is absolute madness. Absolute <laughs> madness. Dude, lay it out for me. So, so yeah, the compound is kind of laid out like there's a, there are classrooms for school children. There's some heavily implied um, sexual assault of the of the kids in the school by the the guy called the the father of the of the cult. And there's also like a, some really creepy stuff with some of the women at the cult, like talking to. The female member of the crew, who we find out at one point is pregnant, but they're seem to be trying to get her alone. And it's just a lot of really creepy stuff like that going on at the beginning. And so, yeah, Father basically claims that there's a uh, time of reckoning o- over the intercom. And that's kind of a a um, signal for the cultists to some of them are like committing suicide via like gunshots or poison. And there's the two of the uh, main film crew guys, like the director and one of the uh, one of his best friends like there's this a weird subplot where the director's girlfriend or the the director's best friend was sleeping with his girlfriend and that's who is the <laughs> father of the kid and i'm not really sure why that's there i don't know that it necessarily helps uh, move anything along but that it is what it is but yeah what what really separates this one is the extreme violence and like shock of the the mass suicides and the girl being strapped to the table like because they want to want her to have her baby there on the premises and uh, she does and what happens with the baby is pretty surprising as well. Uh, yeah, I would like to that? interject just to say when you're talking about madness and <laughs> all that stuff, um, this one feels truly apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. There's an aspect to it when everything starts to go bad. It really, truly feels... And we were talking earlier about what it feels like when you're in the hands of a madman. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like the person who made the movie is unwell. This feels like it was made 
you know, and beamed in from the event horizon hell <laughs> fucking universe. You know what I'm saying? It just it feels unsafe. There's a it's a real horror movie, and it sticks with everybody who's seen it. Ever everybody talks about this one when you bring up VH2. You can't not. It's one of those. It's, and it's more horrific uh, in that this guy's got this cult. Everything's going on. There's really weird and seems nefarious. But then like. Oh, so this guy maybe has some kind of real real power because of how things turn out with the creature at the end and stuff. That makes it even more terrifying. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the apocalyptic part of it. It's not just some Jim Jones thing where they're all crazy and they kill themselves, mm-hmm. you know, or Heaven's Gate or whatever. This is they're all killing themselves, but it's all really real. And they are bringing about this thing that wants to play with his daddy, wants to eat his daddy. We don't know. <laughs> What do you think? Uh, I assume, yeah, I assume that the end was the creature really like wants his dad to be like part of his life. He wants, it's not like he's attacking him to kill him. It's like, it's almost like, hey, you forgot me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wait, like dad. Yeah. yeah. Daddy. And yeah, and you can, you can read it that way. You can also read it as he's like, dad, and now I must, you know, eat you to yeah. <laughs> become a man or something or kill you. Or maybe he just, hey, dad, I want you to take part in this whole thing. Come on with me, dad. You know, let's have a wholesome family bonding experience by, you know, bringing about the end of everything. It's, it's pretty cool either way. Yeah. It's a cool ending. It's, and it's a cool creature. Like I said, it all feels like the end of everything. It's fucked up. It feels apocalyptic <laughs> and scary and terrifying and it's a special story and that's really all I have to say about it. It's just fucking God, dude. Yeah, and, and more than it, any it, other... The moment we saw it, I guess I'll say this, the moment we saw it, it made us want to watch it made us want Gareth Evans to make more horror movies for us to watch. Mm-hmm. I know that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind a sequel <laughs> to do Safe Haven. Give us a little more of what happened after after the fact. Yeah. But yeah, th- this one also, more than the others, seems like, because it's longer, seems more like a mini-movie, a short film, rather than these segments that are a lot more compact and quicker. You know, this one really it's, takes its yeah. time. And it's, yeah, it's... I want to say I didn't. I was going to check on the the length, but I think it's over thirty minutes, like like thirty two minutes or something like that. But yeah, that's that's um, safe haven. The last one we got yeah. is Slumber Party: Alien Abduction. Again, uh, directed by Jason Eisner, written by him and John Davies. So we talked a lot about Kids vs Aliens on one of our episodes a while back after um, I had finally seen it, and I this liked is it. That, guys. This is yeah, that. We don't really actually, need to talk about it. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> we can I just like say, look, if you, if you like it. Yeah, I mean, if you like Kids and Aliens, watch this. And if you liked this, watch Kids and Aliens. <laughs> I think I like this more than Kids and Aliens. Even, you know, this is a much... Really? It's like maybe a quarter of the runtime or whatever, and you don't get all of the character development and stuff like that. This is a much quicker run. And it's an, I guess that one is also R rated, but one thing. You feel this is a more pure experience. Like, again, like I was talking about the way the slasher was with gas station in body bags. This is a distilled, pure experience of the same story that is told in Kids and Aliens. Yeah. And it's also like this one, you know, Kids versus Aliens goes pretty hard with the horror stuff, even though, but it's definitely a, like a horror comedy. Whereas this one, or at least a lighthearted horror movie, this one is much darker and like the aliens seem much more sinister, even though you don't see what they're actually doing to people like you do in kids versus aliens. Mm-hmm. Like these aliens are scarier to me. Maybe it's because the movie in the kids versus aliens, they have like kind of the cheap low budget special effects for the aliens. Whereas in this one, you just see them in very small, 
like short glimpses and they look more you know otherworldly and terrifying <laughs> yeah they're they're like more terror but it's good i like this one a lot and i liked kids versus aliens for the most part but uh but yeah this one's definitely uh rocks pretty hard i like this one a lot they lose a lot of points for killing the dog although i guess you don't know that the dog is dead i'm not gonna say for certain um but that's it pretty pretty much it you got anything else on kids or on uh slumber party alien abduction no i mean like i said it's pretty much i mean it's great uh it's a lot of fun but it is pretty much you know a smaller more condensed version of that it does go very hard um, and it is pretty mean some of that canadian horror can get pretty balls out you know what i mean and jason eisner does that he can they can surprise you with with the twists and turns they'll take for things and this one this one is pretty hard i, I do like it i do like it and i'm i'm glad he did get to make a bigger version of it if for nothing else then i just want to see more jason eisner stuff so again i I guess i'll just sum it up by saying if you do like this episode or story and haven't seen kids and aliens so and vice versa yeah it's a lot of fun agreed so yeah it kind of ends with the the epilogue of the wraparound is basically yeah this private eye is looking for this lady's kid and she's tracking him to this house where all these videotapes are and it's fine (laughs) there's actually a lot i don't really care to say much about it it's fine anything else on vhs2 before we wrap up no i i think it's pretty rad i do want to watch all the ones i haven't seen i didn't they haven't gone unseen by me because i didn't like them or anything i did hear that whatever was uh, vhs viral is that the one that is very uh, divisive yeah people well i think it's just hated for the most part oh it's just hated okay (laughs) yeah i've seen the third one as well viral and i remember i actually went to watch it like a year or two ago thinking that i'd never seen it and i was like oh i did watch this i just forgot about it because i didn't like it much i don't think it's as bad as I don't think it needs to be like shit on as much as people seem to, but it's definitely weaker than the first two. There, there are a couple of segments that are kind of neat. There's one about a magician who has like a magic cape and stuff. I don't know, but I do like 94 is the first one that the, of the shutter releases. And I really like that one. Uh, 99 and 85 are both okay, but not as good to me as, as that VHS 94 was, but they're worth watching for sure. Cool. I will definitely get to them. I definitely do want to watch all the ones made for Shutter. That's going to be, I think, pretty groovy when I do get around to those. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're pretty short. They're not a not a lot of a commitment on those. But well, yeah, and because of the the structure, you can watch them in pieces if you absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. You know, or if you feel like it. You know, if you're just watching, we're like, okay, I'll just watch. You know, a bit here and there. Uh, that's another thing that's nice about anthologies. It, it's always best to watch them all the way through, but it does make it easy to watch them in pieces, and that's always mm-hmm. nice. It's nice to have choices, Chris. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, one last thing I'd ask you to rank your uh, horror anthology segment. So I, uh, I'll i go first because I just went with one from each of the movies we covered here. And I had a little bit of trouble deciding on which one to go with from Tales from the Crypt. I think I decided eventually to go with Poetic Justice, the one with Peter Cushing. Yes. And that would be my number five. Number four would probably be the Halloween School Bus Massacre segments uh, or or pieces from uh, Trick or Treat. Sure. And uh, number three, I'm going to go with Something to Tide You Over, the segment with Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson from uh, Creepshow. Number two, The Gas Station, Carpenter's uh, short and sweet slasher uh, segment from Body Bags. And then number one, Safe Haven, which we talked about. We talked about all these pretty much at length, so I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail. <laughs> That's my top five for these 
horror anthology segments. Now, you, you went a little broader with your list, so what do you got for your top five? Well, you know, if we have honorable mention, I do have the gas station on there. I do have uh, the, um, the trick-or-treat Halloween bus massacre story on there. But, oh, and uh, honorable mention would be the Black Sabbath story, A Drop of Water. Uh, the Mario Baba anthology movie and the one where the lady ends up with a corpse and it is coming after her. <laughs> it is fantastic. Uh, but my number five would be the general from Cat's Eye, the one where the troll is in the wall and the the final story in that movie and the, little, the cat has to save the little girl played by Drew Barrymore from the evil troll that wants to steal her breath and kill her. I absolutely love that one. Great effects, great practical suits, great perspective effects where they're on these sets where everything is set huge so a person in a costume can run around underneath like these tables and chairs and beds and shit that are giant, you know? It's all cool shit. And then the number four for me would be Prey, the Zuni doll segment from Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black. Again, a running theme with me that I've discovered through going through all these anthologies and coming up with these lists for this uh, episode, this podcast is uh, I discovered I like the anthology episodes about little things trying to kill people. <laughs> I guess I guess that's my thing. It's like the way I, I like siege movies. That's just part of my cinematic DNA. But yeah, the uh, Zuni doll one with Karen Black from Trilogy of Terror is fantastic. And I I just love it. I don't really know what to say about these. The three is Safe Haven. We talked about that. Two is the Sam episode with Mr. Quig, where we really get to see Sam in Trick or Treat. That's my number two. And my number one is The Crate. So I did do mostly from mm-hmm. the stuff we did. But there were a couple I had to had to bring up. The Trilogy of Terror one, I didn't even bring up. The, the General had to be on there. So those are my top five. The General, the Zuni doll, Safe Haven, uh, Sam versus Brian Cox. And Fluffy, Fluffy in the crate. So, awesome. yeah, that's my number five, bro. That's why I'm in my top five. All right. Well, we did it. That's our uh, <laughs> anthology. We did uh, it. Show. Happy Halloween, everybody. Hopefully this will get out on Halloween and we'll have something else cooked up for next year. We will come up with something cool. Well, I mean, we will be doing something cool. I will not be coming up with it because Chris is the brains in this operation here. <laughs> he comes up with this cool stuff for you, for us to talk about, you guys. So let's just give it up for Chris and make sure he gets all the credit he has deserved because he is the brains of this operation here. And I just want to make sure I thank him for it publicly. Thank you, Chris. He came up with this idea and it was a fun idea. I'm glad you did it. Thank you for uh, for being like, fuck it, let's do anthologies. And we did. We did the anthology thing, Chris. Oh, show. Uh, well, now that we're done, can... let's never do it again. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's plenty of other anthologies we can we can uh, jump into at some point. Let people know it, where they can... It would can... be fun to talk more about other ones at some point. Uh, let people know where they can find you on the internet before we get out of here. On the internet. Well, you can basically find me these days mostly on Instagram because I'm kind of realizing the Twitter just turned into a Nazi bar. You know, I mean, it's been been evident for a while but i mean it's really evident now we're all we just haven't left yet we need to leave it's a nazi bar the owner's a nazi that makes it a nazi bar anyway i'm mostly a blue sky that's at ajmccready.bsky.social my username is ajmccready like rj mccready from the thing so yeah it should be pretty easy to find me there but while i am still at twitter i'm at haunted gels AJ is the haunted gels of mario baba but that's pretty much it i mean instagram is like alberto aj man or 
fucking something. I don't hardly ever use Instagram. It really doesn't matter. I think that's about it, really. Blue Sky. Come find me on Blue Sky. We'll talk about movies and music, and that's about it. Chris is in all kinds of cool places, though, because he does cool things, and he's a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, um, he actually has, uses the Instagram. If for nothing else, for the Small Screeners podcast, he'll tell you all about that. But yeah, so hit it, Chris. Where can we find you on your online presence, sir? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter, Blue Sky, Threads, at BrodyMan34. I don't really use any of those much, but I'm there. Oh, also Instagram. There's also a Small Screeners page on Instagram and Twitter at Small Screeners. And I don't, even, I don't even know if I said it, but BrodyMan34 is my handle on all those sites for my personal accounts. So feel free to check those out. And if you like the show, give it a rating or review or just tell somebody about it. And we will catch you guys, I guess, in a couple of weeks. We will catch you cats on the flip-flop. Peace. Peace. Two, eight.